Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that new film known as Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film and a series topic, we cover six films that fit a C for classic, I for an indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Because who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and this is freaking Cinema to the Letter. <laughs> uh, I am Brian, and I... I'm not going to start with a Radiohead reference, although it would be very on brand for me. <laughs> Inappropriate, you know, especially if you do an acoustic cover that doesn't have the "What the fuck am I doing here?" <laughs> bit in there. Yes. <laughs> but yes, welcome everybody to uh, the latest episode of the Letter," where we're in the middle of our Disney series here, and uh, we are covering the end for new pick. And we were kind of talking about this off mic uh, when we get to our between the lines segment. We were kind of struggling for, like, a good Disney movie to recommend, necessarily. Um, not that they haven't made anything good, but there's not a lot of, like, truly interesting stuff to recommend out to people, I would say, of, like, the recent crop of the with our rules of 2020 forward for right. new picks. Uh, but Slim Pickens. It was, yeah. And uh, this movie had come out kind of recently, and we were kind of trying to fit in and at least one MCU movie because it you know it, it it's just the biggest thing on the planet and uh and it's most of Disney's like theatrical output at this point exactly right frankly and so like because they're not Star Wars is behind a wall they're not coming right. to theaters anytime soon no matter what yeah. they'll say at D23 is like I'll oh, come whatever um and then you know there'll be stuff like uh mostly it's some of the 20th century movies that they put out like, that right. been, like theatrical releases, really, because uh, yeah, but most of it's been the the Marvel stuff, which you know we gotta talk about it. So throughout, <laughs> like, if you've heard me, like, in my journey in podcasting, where originally I I liked the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, I was a fan. I was kind of invested in seeing them plot along, and then that changed. I'm curious, Brian, especially what's your history? With the MCU, because I think this is another thing where the sort of age difference thing we have, I think, will be very critical because you were actually a child when these movies were coming out. Yeah, and I remember not really being as invested. I think I, I this was a time when I really wasn't going to the movies a lot, but I remember really tuning in for the Avengers in 2012. And like, yes. like the rest of America, I, we, it was just this massive event um and really i had watched like the first you know iron man incredible hulk thor those kind of initial ones i had watched them at home on like dvd you know like you know just rent them but when i watched the avengers in theaters I mean, it felt big and it felt like this big moment of course and that really was kind of where i 
started to kind of become interested in these movies. Um, I'm not a huge comic book fan. I've dabbled a bit here and there. I've read a yeah. few comics, but like, it's such a big like world to get into. Um, yeah, but I, like you, this was like I was so interested in these. The directors they were getting to make these things were at least interesting at the time, and it was interesting to see them build this cinematic universe, and it was something that was unheard of at the time, and yeah, it just kind of, the fatigue really sets in. Um, and we can kind of talk, I, I'm kind of curious to hear about when the fatigue sets in for you. I'm curious if it's similar to me, but I, I'm, I'm curious if it's your history with the, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I was in high school uh, when the first Iron Man came out, um, and I remember that summer of 2008 was is very crucial for like one just modern blockbusters in general the last 15 years uh but also for me i was just like really invested that was the summer i got like the entertainment weekly summer movie preview guide and that was like wow i gotta like i gotta check off the list i gotta like see as many of these as i can and you know sometimes you get your iron mans which are big surprises Mm -hmm. where i remember seeing the first iron man and feeling like, wow, this feels different than like a lot of other Marvel movies. And I did revisit that along with a couple other movies. And it is amazing going back to that movie and seeing how, not necessarily quaint it is, but how just like small scale and right. intimate that movie is. It's like it's basically like a fucking Altman movie where occasionally people are in <laughs> robot suits because <laughs> people were just like talking on top of each other. And it just it, it felt so new and different. For, for that particular era where we had been used to like, you know, the same Rami Spider-Mans and something at like the 2000s era comic book movies. And then I remember it being so new to me, the credits started and I'm like, well, I'm going to get out of here. You know, the credits are mm-hmm. here. There's no right. reason to stay. And then going back home and seeing on YouTube, everybody's like, there's a post credit scene at the end with Samuel Jackson. I'm like, what? Crazy. <laughs> a thing after the credits? What is this? Ferris Bueller? That's nuts. <laughs> that doesn't happen now. Um, but yeah, and then I saw Iron Man a second time and from there, yeah, I watched, I would say every single one of these in a theater up to a point. And I think for me, in terms of like sort of the, the fatigue, I think it's a number of things that, you know, are partially because of like the culture Marvel created where like I was deep into, uh, like screen junkies and other like YouTube channels that talked a lot about these superhero movies and kind of the development of them and like following right. like slash film a lot at that time as well. I was just like, Oh, they're, they're announcing this guy's going to be in this movie. And then it's going to like kind of cross over here. Cause I'm with you that like, I didn't read comics nearly as much. Like most of my exposure to people like Spider-Man and even Iron Man were like, there was an, a nineties era, not just Spider-Man cartoon, but an Iron Man cartoon that was yes, yeah. similar style. Very odd. Um, and I was like, I never seen this guy, like, because you know, obviously, like, pop culture allows you to be invested in like Spider Man and the Hulk and you know the bigger guy, Captain America. Even I was vaguely aware of, the right. guy with the shield, whatever. When we got to these movies, I somehow became so invested in just like the oh, this is like gonna pay off here, this is gonna pay off here, like all the the setup is so intricate and so airtight. There's no <laughs> bit where they're like, no, that didn't happen. Stop it, no. We didn't, we didn't, we're not doing anything with that. It's fine. <laughs> like, no better example of that to me is, like, when Thomas Kretschmann appeared in the post credit scene for Winter Soldier. And I'm like, oh, he's okay. going to be, like, the villain. Right? They're saying, well, because he's got right, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson captive. And, like, oh, they're going to, like, go onto his compound. He's going to be, like, the big villain. And he, like, gets very unceremoniously bumped off during the opening of, like, Age of Ultron. <laughs> yeah. 
but but anyway, yeah, just so that that sort of thing, like I was very invested in all that. I think just after a certain point, it it became a thing where like when Iron Man came out and then the sort of cinematic universe thing built all the way to Avengers, it just felt like, oh, this is a solid new thing that I can watch in addition to, you know, other things that are in theaters like romantic comedies, right. comedies in general, um, you know, thrillers that were made for adults, you know, stuff like that. Just like, oh, this is fun. Touchstone. Right, exactly. And then as, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe train builds up and Disney acquires it, we should mention, didn't start with Disney. Yeah. Paramount. Mm-hmm. If you watch the early ones where I just love that deal where it was like, hey, uh, Paramount, we want to buy the Marvel movies off of you. And they're like, what's our, th- our logo's got to be in front of them. <laughs> uh, deal? Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so much money off this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, right. Um, yeah. As like, you know, Disney buys them and we end up getting like this universe building, it becomes very clear that because it's so successful consistently, a lot of other studios are trying to rip them off, trying to make cinematic universes, diverging money away from interesting movies to kind of make that. And I think that also really hurt Marvel to me, where it just becomes, when it becomes like the homogeny and just like the familiarity, it really, being wonky for me, I would say around really Infinity War, which I just felt Interesting. like this is supposed to be like another big, like everybody comes together movie, even though I hadn't, loved Age of Ultron and stuff like that, but okay, Infinity War, this is going to be the big saga, and Thanos, and I remember liking it at the time, but feeling very hollow about that ending. Obviously, because I'm just like, yeah. oh, they're going to like come back. Or, like All these characters, like, Black Panther just made a billion dollars in like three months. <laughs> they're going to bring him back. It's still playing like two theaters down. You can go yes, see it right, right. now. Right. <laughs> and doing very well. Yeah. Still in like May. Um, right. But yeah, so th- and then like, I was still invested enough for like by endgame and truly mm-hmm. feeling that weird sort of satisfaction of just like oh my god well it all culminated and, and it just in this beautiful payoff and i'm so grateful and then fucking spider-man far from home coming out like two months later yeah i think just made me realize like, oh this isn't gonna end and then we had a break in 2020 and then we never got a break after that point <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't know, I start to become a little suspicious around the time of, like, Civil War, um, because I I did like Age of Ultron, and I still, I like some elements of that movie, but it's a whole nother, (laughs) look, there's a lot to discuss with that movie, but, like, I I was, again, Guardians had had come out, and it was a huge hit, and I, that first Ant-Man movie is great, and I was interested in Doctor Strange and Guardians 2, but like I, I don't know, there's something about Civil War, and even a little bit with Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok, where I was like, I don't love these as much, and I'm kind of becoming uninterested in like the craft of these, where like these don't even, they don't look as good. The quality is starting starting to you know kind of not be as 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 good as it was because you watch a lot of those early Marvel movies and like they look really great. Um, I mean, a lot can be said about that, like they were shooting on film, but like the directors were getting to express themselves a lot because there wasn't this kind of pressure of like, we have the cinematic universe, it's worth a bajillion dollars and everything. And yeah, like it's been this weird thing for me where I've never just been tuned out completely. I will always like go back, like you say, for like 
Black Panther. I was like so invested in that because it seems so interesting and it's so exciting. And then for Infinity War and Endgame, they were kind of like these big event movies again, right? It was like the ones that everyone was going to see. Even the people who like had not seen a lot of the earlier ones, they were going to see the, the new Avengers movie. And yeah, so it's this weird thing of like, I keep getting pushed back in, but then I just don't care about some of the other movies. And it, it, it kind of leads us to now where I'm just not as interested. And I think like, like you said, like that pandemic break, like should have kind of been the, the kind of refreshing, right? It should have been a refreshing break from just so many, because that's the other thing is they make so many of these where it goes from like one a year to two a year to three a year. And yeah, like, especially, you know, since the pandemic, Black Widow on, like, they're just, it's been so much. And I've just kind of lost interest in in the whole thing, I think. Yeah, I would say I also have, but, like, Civil War, I loved in theaters. I'm like, this is the best five out of mm-hmm. five. And with each watch, it's kind of been like, oh, okay. It's a bit yeah. worse, a bit worse, a bit worse <laughs> to now where I'm just like, it's fine. I don't know. Like, I, I have it as, like, a sort of similar, not too far off from Age of Ultron, even though they're just very different movies. They're kind of like right. the worst parts of like each version of like what a Marvel movie can be in terms of like their universe building and the kind of familiar jokes the and stuff like that. But like it's it is weird where I would say like the pandemic year, which you can if you're a patron over at Cinema Number Two Letter Patreon.com/slash Cinema Number Two Letter, um, you can hear the backlog of the old double edge double bill stuff. And there was a point where like we covered on the Patreon like. All the Marvel things, um, not all of them. We did WandaVision and then the four movies that came out that year. And if you listen to those, you can track me losing interest in that particular year. (laughs) I think because also, like, having the TV shows was, in theory, like, an interesting, like, oh, this is a side thing that we can dig into. But that first year where they're coming out the gate with, like, here's WandaVision, here's Falcon Winter Soldier, here's Loki Season 1, here's What If, one of the worst fucking television experiences I've ever had in my life. Watching the whole season of What If. Yeah, I couldn't make it past the first episode. I just didn't. I only wanted to watch it because Chadwick Boseman. Right. Last Pretty much. Yeah, that's the only thing. I only reason I watched it and then I didn't care about the rest. And for the record, I would say that one episode is actually probably the best one of like okay. the T'Challa is a Star-Lord instead. Right. What if this happened? Um, and then they have to connect him into the, 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 the season finale of this anthology show, everybody has all the fake Avengers that we saw in other episodes unite. I don't care. (laughs) Why would I care about that? The fun is seeing individual characters have different things. That's what, that's the problem really. As we keep going on, it feels more and more like we are building this universe first and putting the characters in the secondary spot. Some of those recent movies, like they've been, I've liked, like I thought Black Panther Wakanda Forever was like the best movie you could possibly make under the circumstances. Right, exactly. And then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is literally, to me, just like, from scene to scene, you're either thinking Sam Raimi is behind the camera begrudgingly waiting for Kevin Feige to leave. And then Kevin leaves, and he's like, he's gone? They all die. They all die horribly. (laughs) Fuck these idiots. Fuck you, John Krasinski, Fantastic Four. Hell yes. Yeah, I mean, like, that. my, my interest in that movie was like, oh, it's a Sam Raimi movie. I, like, I, I truly was not really that interested in, like, an, another Doctor Strange movie, although I, I like the, the the first one. I think it's fine. Yeah, but it, it is, like, it's a Sam Raimi movie, or 
you know, the first Black Panther movie, although I think it suffers from a lot of the problems from a visual effects standpoint, like I think that movie doesn't look as great, although like the mm-hmm. production design and everything is, is incredible. I think the it's where we start to see the problem that we kind of have now of the Marvel visual effects teams, which they should unionize, by the way. Um, yeah, for sure. That's mainly my interest in like Wakanda Forever was like, okay, this is the first one was great and let's see what you know they can do with this but the like new ryan coogler film as opposed to the new mcu movie exactly all that as well where he is a really great director and he's one of the the filmmakers who has kind of had a natural progression in this in the mcu right he goes from fruitville station to you know to creed to this right as opposed to having a small small indie movie that barely anyone sees and then making a $200 million blockbuster, which is industry wide to be fair uh, at this right. point. I don't know. I think you can still point to a lot of the problems with major modern blockbusters who do come from the MCU, as you can see from that variety article that hit right um, a few weeks ago in our recording time, uh, which just details a lot of the problems that seem to come from like their slapdash efforts and, you know, just mistreating very talented directors like Anita DaCosta. Or, yep. um, you know, just other stuff like that. And it's troubling because, like, there's still a part of me, Brian, that wants to see, like, oh, you know what? The MCU is going to make another, like, amazing run of movies. I, I will say at least, you know, spoilers, we're going to be talking about what I think is easily their best movie in quite a while. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I, I want to have that hope that they can somehow do that. that they can maybe, like, slow down their production Maybe do, right. I don't know, one or two movies a year? Maybe a TV show that you put all your resources onto? Right. Um, it's weird how the MCU kind of feels like the sort of master of its own demise. Where, right. like, yeah. starting out, they were the underdogs. They literally took out a loan from Merrill Lynch to, like, mm-hmm. own their characters and put their characters as collateral. So there's an alternate universe where we're watching some fucking... Thor movie is sponsored by Merrill Lynch. <laughs> ghoulish. A bit more ghoulish than right now. Not too far off. But I think sli- there's a slightly worse world there. I would there say. There is. Uh, yeah. But then, like, yeah, there were these underdogs. They made good. And they were making, like, all these movies that people were invested in. And critics were decently liking for a while. Um, they would throw an occasional risk out there. Your Iron Man 3s. In between, you know, your Captain America Winter Soldiers, there was still a bit more variety, you know, and then creating the homogeny that they were doing, and then eventually getting to the point now where they're like, let's reverse engineer this, like, magic that we had before, and we're going to be right. desperate about it. We're going to be, like, introducing characters and fucking TV shows and reshooting entire TV shows, because it's like, no, we have to, like, change it to be this entirely different thing, uh, and introducing characters from previous things. Look, it's Toby and Andrew. You love Toby and Andrew, don't you? You do. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. That That is, I will say, the moment for me. Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. I sat there on an opening night. Keeping in mind also this was still like, this was Omicron COVID, so I was still kind of terrified mm-hmm. of being in a packed theater. And I was literally next to people who, and I don't want to yuck anybody's yum about, you know, you, you like easter eggs and all that other shit fine sure yeah, yeah we yeah. need something in this world right and you have that that's fine <laughs> but when they're just like loudly whispering to each other when like matt murdoch shows up in spider-man no way home like a true depressing point for me especially because i double featured that with nightmare alley 
not a movie that I love necessarily, but the contrast of like going to this very mediocre blockbuster that quite frankly, at certain points feels like a funnier die sketch. Just absolutely the two and a half hours, um, particularly in the great green screen quality of it. Um, <laughs> but the, the contrast of seeing that in a full packed house and then going to, I think a flawed, but at least like a daring, interesting movie where I was the only one, Brian, I may be mm-hmm. one of five people who saw that. The, I assume did you as well? I did not, but mainly because oh. it was it was Omicron, so I was like, right. I I went and saw No Way Home on a like Monday, one p.m. Right. and it was still packed. <sighs> like you were saying, the kind of green screen stuff in like No Way Home and is just kind of the larger, a larger problem that I have with these movies, which is like like you say because they've kind of homogenized themselves basically. They have a similar tone. A lot has been said about the kind of MCU dialogue, the the, the, the attempts at humor. And, like, I, I can forgive some of that if the movies just looked interesting or visually interesting because these are comic book movies and they should look like comic books. I don't know. I think it needs a gray filter just a little bit. <laughs> like, even our con- more colorful movies have to have this slight gray filter over it. It yes. just, like, slightly dulls it because it almost kind of feels like it's it's part of, like, this thing with, like, the comic book movie angle of it. That, like, so many of these movies, because of, like, the humor, the constant quips, it has the energy of just, like, oh, this is stupid, right? This is still kind of silly. Right. I mean, you're super invested. And we want you to be super invested. But, like, look at that. They're, these dorks are in costumes. Your name's Dr. Octopus? God, yes. Yeah, just all, all of that stuff is is bad enough on its own. But, again, like just the way that these movies have become this gray like sludge and they all look like that and they all have these final set pieces in these gray with these gray backdrops and and they just look so uninteresting and then like i also revisited a couple of uh of the marvel movies like the first avengers movie which like look fuck joss whedon but like <laughs> yeah this is also a, i'm confirming all these stances are very much for the show as well fuck joss whedon. <laughs> yes absolutely but that movie is incredibly well directed and the way that that movie shot and just has just it looks so dynamic and it, the, you don't really get that from a lot of these later movies except for the movie we're talking about today and it's yeah, it's one. It's another thing that kind of just makes me uninterested in these. Is 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 that whole thing? I revisited the Avengers as well. I think the climax of Avengers is like amazing. The last hour or so of Avengers, yeah, is like top notch. And then I think the rest of it is a very solid TV director doing a blockbuster movie. Yeah. It is well written in terms of like these characters being together. I don't think it's extremely well shot at all necessarily. <laughs> I would disagree. I, I don't know. I maybe it is me kind of just looking back with rose tinted glasses. Yeah. But like, uh, I, I don't know. I, there was something about at least just rewatching the first Avengers movie and just kind of being visually interested in what in the way that it was shot at, at least that. But I, I also just think, and a movie like Iron Man three, for instance, which has so much personality and so much character in it. Yeah, it does. And this is a very pro Iron Man 3 podcast as Incredibly. well. Incredibly. All you MCU fans who are like pulling out your hair, get ready. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, I mean, I look, Iron Man 3 is such a weird movie and it's such an insane movie. And I rewatched it again. That was the other one I, re- I rewatched. And it 
is insane that that movie exists um, and feels so daring and so weird in a different way to like the Guardians movies, but weird in like that movie is so much about like anxiety and 9-11 and just like, <laughs> it's weird. To be fair, the entire, like I would say, because I've revisited along with the Avengers a few other, and right. the first Iron Man. I also revisited like an Iron Man 2, which is terrible. <sighs> Very bad Awful. movie. At the same time, also, I think all three Iron Man movies are very insane for different reasons, which is not <laughs> yes. a sort of quality you get with a lot of these MCU movies, where you have, like, this Altman movie with superhero <laughs> stuff in it, then Iron Man 2 is, like, a kitchen sink movie. Truly. Just a yeah. fucking throw everything and see yeah. what sticks. Not a lot of it does. Uh, most of it does. Sam Rockwell, though. He's pretty good. He is pretty good. But then Mickey Rourke. <laughs> well, he wants his bird. He <laughs> wants his... Which is my favorite meme, I think, of the MCU. Because it's just, like, so dumb. <laughs> he just <laughs> wants his fucking bird. Yeah, it's um, so bad. But then uh, Thor, the original Kenneth Branagh Thor, which I think is fine. That is, like, sort of my exact middle of the MCU ranking for me. Hmm, like, okay. This is right in the middle. I, I, but to be fair, like uh, like, we're talking about kind of the whole, like the way that a lot of the modern MCU dialogue undercuts the kind of dramatic tension. Like I kind of yearn for the, when these like characters were being handled by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> like I, right. I actually quite like the kind of Shakespearean stuff in Thor. I really dislike the fish out of water stuff, but like that's a whole nother conversation. Um, to the degree that yeah. I am like polar opposite of you. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah um but, but anyway yeah then avengers iron man 3 which fucking rules i Absolutely. think if not for like the rebecca hall problem oh, of it all i yeah. think that would be a perfect movie to me then uh thor ragnarok so i skipped a few obviously after that point uh but ragnarok which you know i wanted to rewatch just because like the modern kind of like, oh, speaking of someone something i've soured on that I really, really liked in the early 2010s. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, Taika Watiti, I With uh, the Thor Ragnarok of it all, though, I think that one is still fun, but I'm really seeing a lot more of, like, the kind of deflation elements mm -hmm. of it, where it feels just yeah. like we're kind of being snarky a bit more. And to be fair, I think that's a lot worse than fucking Love and Thunder, which is my Absolutely. absolute bottom. Like, a terrible, abysmal film that, like, <laughs> all these other MCU movies that are done by, like you know, smaller directors don't get a lot to do. At the very least, a lot of the MCU just feels at least competent and it's worse to me. Just like completely sure. fine movies that I can, will never think of again. Most of my bottom ones until this rewatch of a couple things, like hot take, I'm going to say it. One of them's Infinity War. I really don't like Infinity War anymore. I, I agree. I think that movie yeah. is so boring and so long. It's literally just like, it's an action sequence followed by, Hey, did you not see the last couple Marvel movies? Here's a thing, just so you know. Like it, that's what it just yeah. feels like alternating between everything. And I don't think Thanos is that interesting a villain, at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's fine. He's nowhere near as interesting as like some of the best, better villains. Of course, like I mean, we'll talk about one today, but like even like Loki in the first Avengers movie, or you know, Mads Mikkelsen even in like Doctor Strange is, is better in my opinion. And like, speaking of Infinity War, I guess this is also just where we kind of, the Russo brothers. Um, right. Because they have been kind of another reason why I think these movies have just been 
has have gotten worse. And like, look, it's funny because uh, so I I I did a, a viewing of Community, and like right. fi- I, and I kind of finally watched what the Russo brothers did before the MCU because I didn't really know who they were. I didn't really know that they had come from Community, and I mean we talked about this, but like there are episodes of Community that are directed better than either of the Avengers movies they've made. I just find them to be so incompetent as directors. <laughs> and especially with something like Endgame and Infinity War, like they just really suck all of the life out of all of it. Like just the way they're mm-hmm. directing things, they are kind of, I think, the kind of gray sludge that we kind of talked about, like those movies are really bad. Like they are just really hideous looking movies. Yeah, and I've just been really uninterested with them as directors, and yeah, it's one of the reasons why Infinity War just doesn't work, in my opinion. Yeah, though I will say by contrast, after this Russo bashing, which I want to emphasize, I very much agree with most of that. Except to say, I still really think Endgame's pretty great as like an an actual ending for all this stuff. I think it's more on the script, obviously, because I see a lot of the Grey Sludge stuff still. It's almost as if I think this cast and the script and just cultural sort of interest in this movie is blocking them from going too terrible. They're still just, we gotta be a bit terrible. (laughs) Like so everything that actually happens in that final battle, aside from the you go girls, very thin feminism bit of like all the female heroes suddenly are in the shot. Aside from that, I think that ending battle, like everything that happens in is really great. And I think there are wonderful like moments that I still was like cheering about. Like, I think Captain America with Mjolnir. I think it's like too yeah. th- cool a thing to fuck up. That's the thing. It is. That's that is the thing, right? With that movie, where you're just so inherently like invested because of it's it's the culmination point. All these characters finally together, even though all these actors weren't in the same room together. But whatever. What are you um, talking about? No, I totally believe that Brie Larson was in every single set of this <laughs> movie that she appeared in. <laughs> but like, yeah, and so. It's inherently entertaining where like it is like anyone could have directed that sequence and at least it would have been like, okay. But I, I, I will agree. I, I'm kind of half and half on Endgame. I like some yeah. elements. I really dislike others, but I will at least concede that it is. I, I think it's a very fitting kind of, you know, culmination point of like all these other, what, like 20 something movies that have come before it. I think it's once again, just a factor of like, the it's Marcus and McFeely, I believe, are the two screenwriters that were like on a bunch of these movies, like right. since around like Age of Ultron or some shit like that. They've been around for no, it was ever since Winter Soldier. That was their first one. Winter Soldier, yeah, right. Winter Soldier was their first one. They've been around, kind of riding the ship this whole time, and I I think they at least knew like we have to keep our investment in this. And I think all the actors are also just so invested. Like I love all the scenes. Like, the best scenes in that movie aren't really in the battles as much as just, like, Tony meeting Howard Stark and them talking briefly. Just that weird magic of just, like, you get to meet, like, your parent who died. Like, that's way more inherently investing or, like, fucking Captain America and Agent Carter dancing at the end of that movie. Yeah. I think that's a genuinely great just culmination. Like, that's it. That To the degree that, like, when I watch it again, I'm like, I have no interest in watching any more of these movies that aren't from a certain director. Who, I think we should finally get to that, Brian. We've talked a lot about MCU. We'll still be talking about the MCU, I'm sure, in comparison to uh, one of the more recent efforts, Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Volume 3. We were gone for quite a while. But no matter what happens next, the galaxy still needs its guardians. Hello, we come in peace. Drax, seriously, dude? No, 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 no! Ow! <laughs> hey! Don't forget where we came from. We have been running our whole lives. I'm done running. And we'll kill anyone who gets in our way. No, not kill anyone. Kill a few people. Kill no people. Kill one guy, one stupid guy who no one loves. Now you're just making it sad. So, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, uh, is a fairly recent film uh, from May 2023. May 5th, 2023 is when it came out. From a uh, director writer James Gunn, who you know we've given all the Marvel Disney their day. It's Gunn's day now. I'm sorry that wasn't what I meant to say. It came's <laughs> off a bit wrong, but I'm spelling it with two ends. Brian, you don't have a huge familiarity with James Gunn outside of the recent movies, right? Like the Suicide Squad and the Three Guardians films. Yeah, right. I, I was initially going to watch his uh, the movies he had made pre Guardians. I I didn't have time, but um, I have, of course, seen his masterpiece that he wrote, Scooby-Doo, um, as well as Dawn of the Dead. Um, but yeah, I mainly came to know him through the Guardians movies, which is kind of really interesting. But I'm assuming you are quite familiar with his work. Someone's forgetting future Criterion release Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> of course. How could I forget? I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, I knew of James Gunn. I think um, the first one of his movies I had scene i believe would have actually been the dawn of the dead if we're counting the writing credits yes the dawn of the dead right which uh i was i still think is the the better zack Snyder movie of the ones that's my favorite it um, is a great movie and one of the better uh sort of horror remakes out there and then i found out about him weirdly through um lloyd kaufman and trauma which is where he got his yes. start mm-hmm. um doing a lot of like smaller trauma stuff he wrote the movie tromeo and juliet yes which you're i'm guessing you're aware of. do you have any idea of the depravity in tromeo and juliet <laughs> i don't know I, I so i i've been kind of picking at this marvel book that i i picked up it's mcu the reign of marvel studios uh written by joanna robinson dave gonzalez and gavin edwards that basically covers like the entire history of these movies and goes into a bunch of stuff and it goes into a lot of some gun talk and it was it was going into his history with like trauma and it mentions tromeo and juliet but have have you seen tromeo and juliet oh i've is... seen tromeo and juliet more recently than that i mean i'm not a huge trauma versed person but i've right. seen a handful and i'm like i get the vibe um, <laughs> right it's deliberate vibe that i only tolerate under certain circumstances uh tromeo mm-hmm. and juliet is one I think just because it's literally it's Romeo and Juliet, but they're they're all like addicted to sex. Sean Gunn plays a gangster who kind of dresses like a toddler, 
and then at one point he gets his head caved in by uh, being thrown out of a car onto a fire hydrant. Uh, there's very rough gore there. Um, so you can see at least the subversiveness uh, that he would tone down a bit. You know, sure. As, as he made uh, other movies. Though, to be fair, his directed movies, I have seen um, the, the earlier ones, which include Slither, which is a fun, uh, solid horror comedy. Uh, starring Rooker, a rare Michael Rooker starring role. Um, Hell yes. Yes, uh, that movie I think is a lot of fun. I've seen before, and I recently watched Super, right before we started here. I think it's still a great movie, but that is definitely also the one where it's like, this is like two times the budget of a trauma movie, but not too far from a trauma movie at the same time. <laughs> um, it's a very interesting okay. film right. uh, that isn't going to be for everybody, but I'd be curious, especially to hear what you think. Um, and then the Guardians movies, which we'll get into here, but also even like the Suicide Squad. Uh, which figures mm-hmm. into this movie's production very heavily. It does, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I've always been a fan of him, at least just being, however tasteless to any degree, a very interesting, subversive director who clearly takes a lot of influence from genre filmmaking, but also does have weirdly commercial instincts at heart, as we get into uh, with these Guardians movies and... I mean, do we, while we're talking about Gunn, do we just get into the production thing? Do we want to get that out of the way now? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So James Gunn obviously had directed uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volumes 1 and 2, uh, and he had had a big success with them, very popular movies, uh, and he had signed on shortly after doing Volume 2 uh, to go ahead and sign for Volume 3, uh, but... In uh, July of 2018, Disney and Marvel decided to fire him from the production, mainly because um, a bunch of very conservative, shitty commenters like Mike Chernovich, 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 whatever, fuck that guy. Yeah, um, who cares? <laughs> yeah, right. Point is, he was just like circulating some old tweets that where James Gunn had made some bad jokes. I think we can all agree, just bad jokes. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, they. They're not, like, harmless, but they're also not very harmful. It's just kind of like, why the fuck are you doing very this, dude? Very <laughs> tasteless, just kind of juvenile. Yeah. Kind of edgy, just to be, just for just for the sake of being edgy, it seems. Right. Which, like, there's a difference between doing that, say, in a trauma movie where I know you were skimpering around barely trying to make this in New York in Hell's Kitchen versus you tweeting something like, I don't know, while you were making Super that was like an off-color joke. Uh, and, you know, he admitted as much. Um, I have at least a little bit of here what he said. Um, he said, um, making movies and telling jokes uh, that were outrageous and taboo was what he started his career with. But he's developed as a person. So uh, as my work and my humor develops, it's, it's not to say that I'm better, but I'm very, very different than I was a few years ago. So, yeah, you know, reasonable response to that. Yeah. Yet... Alan Horn met with him and was like, no, still don't want him here. I'm Alan Horn. And I know what he sounds like because he's a very public figure who's not shadowy. (laughs) (laughs) So that happened July 20th. And then on July 30th, the entire Guardians of the Galaxy cast had a huge open statement saying that, quote, we fully support James Gunn. We were all shocked by this abrupt firing last week and have intentionally waited these 10 days to respond in order to think, pray, listen, and discuss. 
So they weren't happy. I wonder who added the prey, by the way. I wonder who was who who on that cast. You think it was Vin? (laughs) We gotta pray for this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, to be familiar. Um, but yeah. So they were not happy, and then Gun did get an exit settlement that wasn't disclosed somewhere around ten million dollars from rumored trades. So you know. He got that bag and then <laughs> got to eat his cake too, which is so funny. Yeah. yeah, so he exits, then he goes on to make the Suicide Squad while he's in production on that. At the same time, people in the backstage behind Alan Horn are like, guys, I don't know, maybe we should get him back. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if this is going to work out without him. I, I think we kind of have to have him back. And then he all goes off and makes the Suicide Squad, and then the pandemic happens, and he writes Peacemaker, and then he yeah, makes right. that. And then finally they're like, okay, you go ahead and uh, finish the movie, right? And we're friends, right? We're still gonna be friends. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'll, Anyways, I'll... I'm gonna be the head of DC now. <laughs> well, no, wait. He, I think he, that didn't get announced until after he shot it, right? This is like right, late yeah. 2022. Yeah. So like, he shot the movie. It's like they have to make it. And he's like, by the way, I'm with DC. This has been a whole thing in my contract. It wasn't in our exit clause that I signed fully. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, and so which I'm. We're not going to get too huge into because nothing's happened yet. He's going to be making Superman Legacy, allegedly. Yeah. He's working on it right now as we speak. Hopefully. I mean, you know, because it's not like he almost got a thing canceled that he was involved in from David goddamn Zaslov a couple weeks ago because he co-wrote and produced that fucking uh, Coyote Acme movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he didn't respond at all on social media until, like the day was announced that like, uh, just kidding. It can come out. They can sell it to other people. We're just kidding. He just posted like a wily e. coyote, like with a, a spigot fire with like a little weenie on it. Like being, <laughs> that's funny. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so this whole thing was fucking ridiculous, right? You were, remember this. It, it is. It's a, like an insane thing. And like, obviously those, co- the, the jokes he made were horrible and anything, but like it, it is, the whole thing was stupid. And it is just insane to think that they were ever even considering moving forward without him because, like, these movies are him. Like, they are made by him, right? Like, they are kind of... There have been other instances, I think, of, like, directors kind of bucking a lot of the the more kind of trends of the MCU, right? Kind of going, making kind of really original movies within this system. And he made three of them. It, It is such a weird thing to think about. And, like, I... I have other issues with with James Gunn. Um, I'm not sure if you know about the kind of writing incidents with the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie at all, but whole thing. Um, Nicole Perlman, right? That whole yes, thing? The, yes, the whole, the whole Nicole Perlman thing. But, like, it is just kind of insane, the whole thing of him getting fired, rehired, and then working for the other team now. Well, having it, worked it, once for the other team. Which I love, right. too. Where, where it's just like that. That's literally like, I think, part of Disney's thing when they bring him back. Just like, well, you had your taste of other, like, fish in the sea. Yeah. But you can come back <laughs> home, right, baby? Yeah, I miss you. Come on. <laughs> and then he, but, but they're texting the other one. Just like, just give me, like, nine months. <laughs> I'll get out of here. Yeah. But, yeah, just a crazy set of circumstances where he gets to finish his trilogy 
and also gets to like make he makes the Suicide Squad, which I think is a a very good movie, a great modern comic book movie that like I would say a great one. As much as we talk about the fatigue of just this whole genre, I think that's one of the more interesting ones and really gets it like we'll talk about kind of what makes James Gunn so good at making these specific kinds of movies because they're kind of the Suicide Squad and Guardians share a lot of similarities but like hell Suicide Squad wants to share a lot of similarities Suicide Squad one <laughs> that's true yes to yeah. the, it was like literally like at least it was a made as a different movie and then they're like oh we gotta make this like Guardians of the Galaxy now <laughs> right yes exactly yeah but it is just so interesting that he now he's the head of DC even though he got to finish his his trilogy and it is like this fucking great movie that we're gonna talk about yeah, for sure. But, you know, let's, I guess, generally talk about at least the first two movies in a bit more detail. Right. Um, I mean, I'll just say for myself, uh, no spoilers, the the top three MCU movies for me are these three Guardians movies, just in, like, <laughs> varying orders. Like, I, I would say, I'll just say it right now, I would say uh, the first one is my third. I think still a great movie, but is the one that feels the most, like, Marvel-handled mainly in terms of, like, mm-hmm. the grayness of it. That's the grayest one out of all of these. Yeah. It's I a very so, fun yeah. movie. I love it, but it's still just, like, that That makes it just the default bottom. Um, then I would say three is my number two. And then I think number uh, number one is truly volume two, which I think is just, like, Interesting. an amazing fucking just weird science fiction movie. Because that's the thing is, like, these movies are MCU movies. The Guardians technically are superheroes within the galaxy. But, like, this is a fun sci-fi franchise. Especially, like, coming out, like, right before Force Awakens comes out. Mm-hmm. That, that I felt more attached to, like, a Guardian. Just because it felt like such an interesting discovery, given the comics were not very well-known. Which is right. the only reason why I could go over to Epcot and ride a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. And then be like, hey, where's, like, Captain America? Like, shut up. They're at Islands of Adventure. <laughs> They're not here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, they, they were such interesting, obscure characters who really just immediately attached to audiences. Like my mom has n- never seen any of these movies except the first guardians and she loved it. You know, it was like Hell fun yeah. and weird. And like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, it's such a great blockbuster crowd pleaser movie. That's also fairly weird. But then volume two is like so weird. It's true. Yeah. An insane film. That I can't believe yeah. cost like what two hundred million dollars they gave it to him to do that. <laughs> to kind of talk, I guess, briefly about like my history with these movies, though. Yes. Like, I remember seeing Guardians in twenty fourteen, and uh, I would have been fifteen or sixteen, and, and just getting excited by just how great. I, I still think like you're right. I think that it is the the quote unquote blandest of these movies, but like visually. from a visual standpoint, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. visually, but um. I still just remember like uh, that fight sequence, like with the ships above nowhere and just being like, Oh my God, this is like incredible, like big scale sci-fi action. And it was before force Awakens had come out. And my little 16 year old brain was just like, I I can't wait to see what star Wars is going to look like. (laughs) Um, And my uh, college self just like, I can't wait to see force awakens. Everything. Yeah, but also, like, it, it is so interesting to think of when the first Guardians movie comes out and how it just, 
again the a lot of in this book i did read a chapter on guardians i'm kind of jumping around in in the book but like right a lot of in that chapter you get people being like i don't know if this one's gonna do well like are people right. interested in a talking raccoon in a talking tree and as a nerdy teenager who cared about like you know box office and like just all this stuff i was kind of thinking like yeah is this gonna do well do people care but of course, like, of course this movie does well because it's so fun and the characters are so well written. And it is like one of the things that they talk about with kind of people looking back on the Guardians movie is like, this is just so unlike what had come before, right? Because like, even though a lot of these movies, especially like Thor or the Avengers have a lot of comedy to them and a lot of like levity, this really felt like the first one that was like, truly just a comedy yes and especially coming after like this comes out after thor the dark world a good movie by the way and captain america the winter soldier a bad movie by the way so Uh... i got some hot takes yeah (laughs) but like yeah those two movies which are so dark and serious and whatever and this movie comes out and is so fun and yeah, I mean, the cast is great, and like you said, Volume 2 is insane. I mean, so many of the decisions in that movie are wild, and again, at that time when it's made, is so weird, because it it's weird that they let him make that, because that really feels like when they're putting a tighter leash on like the creative decisions of the franchise, it feels like, right? That's where the kind of, a lot of it becomes homogenized, and like, I would argue, I mean, that's also the same year as uh, Ragnarok, which you can say a lot of things about Ragnarok, but it's also, it's distinctly of its director. That's true. I, yeah, I will say that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I just, I just remember Volume 2 being so weird and unlike any of the other Marvel movies around that time either. And I, I will say, I prefer Volume 3 to Volume 2, I think. that There's something about, I, I prefer a kind of... Uh, I think just the last hurrah of this movie is so like palpable. Um, and it really just like wins me over, over volume two, which is also great. And you know, I think another big thing that I like about this is something like speaking back to volume two, that Kurt Russell said when he watched the first guardians after he got offered volume two and he was just like, Oh man. So Pr- Pratt's doing what like I tried to do in the eighties. Right. And I think that's like the real key to it is like, it feels like it's truly like, if Kurt Russell had been Han Solo, which he auditioned for, did he have really? you seen that foot? There's footage I... of that. It's very interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, because he was like part, of, and that was the whole uh, audition process. It was like the cast of Carrie and Star Wars were like auditioning for the other movies, back to back, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so it's interesting right. in that regard too. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it feels kind of like more like that. It feels like Gunn is inspired clearly by what Carpenter was doing to some degree and that like this this feels so indebted to like big trouble in little china which Absolutely. is like such a like movie where it's like i don't know we're gonna just treat this uh, we'll see this how this goes you know we're just gonna like very much feel this like kind of you know stream of consciousness thing i think even with the first guardians even though it's like very plotty in traditional marvel fashion there is still just like so many different distinct weird ideas to like go past what the audience would think Having a Jackson mm-hmm. Pollock joke yes. in yes. <laughs> fucking the first Guardians still is like amazing that he got that past them. And 
yeah, I just think it has that a bit more of an adult edge while at the same time having like an actual investment for like a kid. Cause like, that's the thing also I didn't really mention about the MCU stuff on a personal note. Uh, my little nephew who I've talked about before, the big reason we, you know, really bonded initially was he loved all the Marvel stuff. And I would explain to him like, well, that's Loki. He's Thor's brother. But he's a bad guy. And just like, he was like, wow, I'm amazed. You know, all of this. <laughs> Just gobsmacked. Um, And he loves Guardians of the Galaxy. I have seen many pieces of footage of him dancing along to Peter to come and get your love. Like, during the opening. It's very sweet. Um, But, yeah, at the same time, like, that's... I can see, like, he would be invested. You would have been invested when you were, like, 16. I would have been invested when I was, like, in my, (laughs) like, 20s. It was, like... A fun fucking movie. Yeah. And, like, I'm going to refer to this book again, but, like, in this book, like, like Mark Ruffalo and, like, Robert Downey Jr. kind of both talk about that being the moment where really the MCU, the first Guardian movie, where really that becomes, like, the idea of a cinematic universe, something, like, bigger, becomes, like, more attainable. And I think it is where these movies start to get, for a while, like, they were really, like critic proof like any sort of they were just going to make a bajillion dollars every single weekend no matter what and like everyone was going to go see them everyone was going to talk about them and i think a lot of people talk about the guardians movie being the one that like proved like see we can do this we can do even the crazy stuff we can do and people will come out and see it and be interested in everything which is it's what makes these movies so great also interesting factoid is that uh, that one came out early August, which is usually like yeah. the sign of like, oh, this is the desperate blockbuster at the end of the season. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know what they're going to do. And he, they just fucking ate up through like September of 2014. It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. Just how much creative freedom I think Gunn has given with these movies is so interesting and really kind of allows him to put a lot of like what you were talking about, just the, a lot of the character stuff in here is so weird and would feel so out of is feel so out of place in terms of the other marvel stuff yeah well we get, let's I mean, get talking more specifically about volume three now yes it's about yes, time please. we're around almost it an is. hour into this so let's let's talk about <laughs> the movie um so volume three here obviously starts off where um following not just we should mention volume one and volume two but the holiday special which you've not seen out there is great yeah i, I was i was not able to see it but i, I I've, I've heard it's good it's, and it's also very crucial because there's a, I'll say this much, you know, the line in here, uh, from Mantis about being Peter Quill's sister. Yes. Right. That wasn't revealed in volume two, to any degree. Right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the holiday special, that's the crux of the special is like, it's her talking to Drax about like, oh, I haven't told Peter yet, but he's my brother just because he was right. my father. And all yeah. this, so it's just like, well, you got to get him a Christmas present. He loves Christmas. And so their idea of a Christmas present is to kidnap actor Kevin Bacon, who's his favorite. Of course. <laughs> from Footloose. Course. Uh, it's a very sweet, wonderful holiday special. That also is just like a great, it's a reason why like Mantis, who I liked in the second movie, I think is phenomenal in this movie. I think Absolutely. Tom Clementif is such like a fun character amongst obviously everyone else here who they're all living on nowhere now. They've taken it over as seen in the holiday special as well. Um, okay. And uh, they you know, made a little community and all that. But obviously, uh, there's somebody missing. You know, you ha- you, we have Drax. 
we have Nebula, we have Cosmo, uh, we have Kraglin, we have Rocket Raccoon, and, you know, we have Star-Lord is also there, but somebody's missing there, Brian, uh, as seen in two Avengers movies that most people saw, but, right, <laughs> right. but like at the same time, if you are just a Guardians person... I'm sure you're very thrown for a loop to realize that Gamora's not here because she died in Avengers Infinity War and came back in Avengers Endgame, but as an alternate universe version of herself from before the first Guardians happened. So she's like, I don't know, Peter Quill. Oh, why did we have some? She's like, you were my everything. Yes. And there's the, just that great scene later on where he kind of explains all of that, but like very quickly and with yes. the energy of like, uh, yeah, that's that bullshit happened. Anyways, what, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> it's great. And yeah, I mean, like, just that is such a, it's one of the kind of, kind of cool things, but also kind of frustrating things about having a cinematic universe is like, you explaining that, uh, even though I've seen that movie, I'm thinking, God, that sounds so dumb. It's <laughs> so silly. Yeah, but especially, I don't know, particularly in, I think, Infinity War, were one of my big problems with it is I hate the way the Guardians are written, aside yeah. from, like, Rocket and Groot, who are, like, fine, there's subplot where it's like they're helping fucking Thor make a, an axe with Peter Dinklage, sure. Yeah. That's weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but then, yeah, the fucking Star-Lord gets character assassination fully. Mm -hmm. I'm very yeah. firmly in that camp. Gamora gets literally thrown off a goddamn cliff because yeah. her daddy was, you know, the worst person in the world who committed horrible genocide. But he's just like, but, you know, it helped out, right? <laughs> Great motivation. I, I love that, right? I just, I feel so invested in that character. He worked so much better as an unseen evil for most of, for volume two. It's He's fine whenever in volume one, just like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, I think uh, here. We'll talk, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, But... Yeah, just, I hate the way that they're written in Infinity War. And then Rocket is very yeah. well done, I think, in Endgame. I think he's, like, a solid addition to, like, the rest of that cast. And I think fits very well. And as performed by, you know, everyone loves talking about Bradley Cooper. We love Bradley. Great voice in this movie. In all these movies. Phenomenal. Unlikely yeah. voice. Because I remember around the time I was hoping for H. John Benjamin, like, before Guardians came out. That is a Which pretty good choice, actually. Would have been like, I still think even if you did the same thing, I think H. M. Benjamin he would could, have handled it. <laughs> he could do it, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, but it is also another thing of like, I forget all the time that Bradley Cooper is in the MCU, like all the time. I'm just like, oh yeah, Bradley Cooper is just is in the MCU. Um, but as you were saying, there, there's another performance here as Rocket. Yes, uh, Sean Gunn, who obviously brother of James. But a very good actor. Like, he's he's not, like, it's not a nepotism thing. He's a very solid no. actor, especially in these movies. Uh, I've heard he's great on Gilmore Girls. I've never seen that. I've seen, um, like, one episode of Gilmore Girls. Right. Um, he was not but, on it. But, yeah, but he is, at the same time, playing Craglin, who's a very interesting mm -hmm. side character who I never expected to feel invested in. I when love it, him in this movie. <laughs> in all, I think, in Volume 2 and this, I love him dearly. And also the holiday special is very... Like he brings that same energy to it, okay. and he's does such a great job with that. But also at the same time, he is doing a lot of the motion capture and on set work with the actors as Rocket. 
Um, and also does the voice of the youngest Rocket who can talk. Oh, Where that's he's cool. talking like oh, this and what just that's... adorable. Because admittedly, yes. like I love James. I listened to the commentary because I have the 4K Blu-ray. Um, and uh, James Gunn was talking about which I would recommend. I love audio commentaries. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're dying. James Gunn is keeping the commentary alive. I love cool. his audio commentaries a lot. But uh, especially on this particular one, he talked about the fact that, like, Sean is, you know, like, so crucial to all the actors. Just need to be able to see something, right? right? Mm-hmm. He just, like, they have to be able to have some kind of interaction. And you see on-set stuff of him acting with the actors. It's like, no, he's invested. Like, I saw footage of him with Linda Cardellini, who's in here, uh, yes. MCU wife, uh, <laughs> turned Lila. Uh, and uh, he's given his all on that motion capture stage, and you yeah. can see how much of that also influences Bradley Cooper's performance. Did you watch any of the like behind the scenes footage of of making this? Because I watched the um, I watched this on Disney Plus, and they have like the assembled like making of documentary thing. Did Did you watch that at all? There was a couple featurettes online that were like okay. ten nine minutes, a gag reel. Oh no, this, this is like an hour content. long like documentary oh right the disney inside right yes yeah 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 um but there's a lot of footage of him in there kind of on set like again yeah like you said like it's it's that thing that they they talk about of like they need something to be there so that rocket feels like a real character but also like he's giving like a genuine performance as he's doing it on like on the set right like that's such an it's an interesting thing where i am kind of imagining like oh he's just kind of like there but the, he is giving like a genuine performance. Like he does all the emotional beats and it is a really great physical performance just for the way that he like folds his knees <laughs> when he's like doing the motion capture. It looks very uncomfortable. Especially and that man is like near 50 at this point. Right. He's doing this shit. Yeah. Right. But no, you're right. Like, yeah, it feels so crazy. And it is even crazier to think like, like we kind of mentioned earlier, like it's weird to think that, when the first movie was coming out, they had this idea of, like, will people care about a talking raccoon and a talking tree? And here we are in Volume 3, where Rocket is this, like, a full character. You you could not really tell a difference between him or, like, Pratt or Batista, right? He feels like a real character who's just in this world. Um, and, yeah, got, Sean Gunn is, is just giving a great physical performance as him. Well, yeah, and, I mean, Rocket is the, the key to all of this um, particular exactly. entry, uh, because this is obviously the one that decided on the very, I think, truly the bravest choice I could imagine any $250 million blockbuster could make, of, like, uh, the Rocket character, who everybody loves, he's just, like, kind of like, oh, he's a scoundrel, but he's cute, because he's a raccoon guy. But he says he's not a raccoon. Um, right, he's not a raccoon, uh, which was a fun joke that you realize has traumatic backstory. Yes. In Godfather 2 level fashion, because it cuts between Rocket in the present having been horribly, uh, you know, put into a, a beaten to near. What exactly? He's in like a coma, kind of. Right. I would he's say, beaten right? into a coma when Adam Warlock shows up. Um, exactly. Right. Will Poulter. Uh, having fun, though I will say maybe like we'll get to it. Like probably my least favorite thing about the movie, even though he's solid, it does. I just, I disagree. Oh, I, I mean, okay. I, I can see what I can see. Uh, we'll what get you to mean it. by that though. But like, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But um, after that happens, you know, Rocket is in, near a coma because the med pack that they tried to use to heal right, him so from they... his wounds, like, caused him to have a horrible seizure. So, you know, I've, I've definitely told the guardians of my nephew to not watch uh, <laughs> this particular movie with him. I don't think a seven-year-old could handle this to any degree. No, yeah. I mean, like... It's rough. <laughs> it is. A lot of this movie, right? Like, as, as much as, like, there has been kind of a recent discussion, I think, around, like... I remember around, like, Black Widow, people were like, is this the most violent Marvel movie? And then you watch it, and it's, like, a broken arm for, like, a frame and whatever. And it's such a well-staged frame, though. I, yeah, great. Great <laughs> shot movie. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah. I, really, while, while re-watching this, I was kind of fearful of, of those flashbacks, right? Because yeah. I was because you know them already, like rewatching it, are they are they gonna feel a bit like, okay, let's move on, we kinda get this, but no, they feel so human and so beautiful and so human in like their characters, I guess. Um <laughs> they are they are animals who have wheels and you know Right, these characters who we're referencing here, because like in, in these flashbacks we uh, have the uh, High Evolutionary, our villain, played by Chukwudi Iwoli? I think I'm right. Oh, yeah. Better than I would have done, maybe. <laughs> uh, I've, I will refer to James Gunn calls him Chuck. I'll call him Chuck. Cool. Uh, on the commentary, so I'm stealing <laughs> that from him. Um, but... He's great, um, especially he was uh, also in Peacemaker, which I don't... Have you seen Peacemaker? I have. Oh, my gosh. He was in Peacemaker. Right. He was the lead of the, like, the task force. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really fun in that. Really, yes. like, really fun, like, miniseries thing. I, well, it's supposed to have a second season. I don't know, though. It is, but I don't know how... Who knows what the fuck is happening out? Because there's also an Amanda Waller Warner show Brothers. happening or something. That's yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't think Viola Davis signed the contract for that yet. Um, but uh, this fascinating character who is responsible for like this horrible thing that happens, which I love that they, they obviously in the MCU, there's been a kind of trend. We'll call it uh, Killmonger wannabeitis. Uh, where a lot of characters who want to be like, oh, I have a tragic backstory, so you can make sense of my evil. And they reference it like, this is fucking dumb. But at the same time, this what I love about him as a villain is he feels truly like just this awful, horrible being who is very well-written and very fascinating as a character and what he's like trying to do, trying to create world in his own image which initially included rocket and he's like ah oh, this fucking bullshit didn't work except wait he can he knows things i'm not aware of how to make animal human hybrid things the best the greatest part of this movie one of my maybe my favorite part of this movie is him going i made you how did you know yes it's incredible i i mean for one i love a good um I don't know what to call it, but a god character, right? Sort of a a Promethean kind of character who, you know, I, I don't know. There's something about that sort of idea that I find so interesting. And I just, again, find it, yeah, it's such an interesting character of, like, he is is a god, basically. He creates all of these experiments and all these races and everything. And, like, it is 
he's such a great villain um because like yeah he, you 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 understand kind of what he's doing but he i i do kind of love that moment when yeah peter's like i don't care i don't want to hear your fucking sob story like yeah. whatever it, it's yeah it's great and it feels like a moment of like because this movie has this kind of propulsive kind of energy because the whole plot of the movie is we need to save rocket that by the time you get to that moment it doesn't even feel like necessarily that thing we were talking about of like undercutting the tension it more feels like oh like he is very angry and like wants to save his friend there's a a genuine desperation there that i really love yeah i think that's what really pulls the best out of all these characters to some degree just because obviously Mm -hmm. with the other guardians movies the the first one develops in a very more traditional like origin story point getting all these characters together then volume two is just like hey let's have him hang out on a weird planet man that's his dad the plan that is his dad, yes. <laughs> the plan is his dad. God, uh, should have been the, the subtitle, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The plan it is his, his dad. dad. <laughs> uh, but having like that kind of like hangout movie, and then like you mentioned, this movie having like, we have so little time to make this work. We are on a yeah. desperate point because Rocket could die at any moment. And at the same time, keeping those stakes in mind, they also don't forget to be these characters, which is to say, kind of like fuck-ups. That's yeah. like the charm is yeah. that they're all fuck ups who fucked up in various different ways and on the mission do as well. While at the same time, like having room for like the weird aesthetics, like your our backgrounds both are reflective of <laughs> like w- probably my favorite sequence on like a sci-fi level with this movie of just like they're going in their spacesuits that look like 2001, but it's the whole rainbow collection. Yeah. And onto a flesh plant <laughs> that... <laughs> is, like, the headquarters of a corporation the High Evolutionary has, just as, like, the thing to fund his fucked-up research. Right. This is, like, his Elon Musk, like, SpaceX. And the way that James Gunn described, like, the look of it is it looks like you're inside a colonoscopy. Yes. <laughs> if you're walking through it. <laughs> it yeah. Well, also, shout-out with sets that look a lot like the original Supergirl movie from 1984. Oh, like there is okay. an identical. That's like the location where Peter O'Toole and initially Supergirl are, and she has to leave. Like, go to Earth and find the crystal or whatever the bullshit it is. But it looks like that lobby. They're like home base. <laughs> okay. I I mean I while we're talking about the sets, I will say like I watching that behind the scenes thing. The sets of this movie are incredible, and like yes, because they built a a like the the nowhere set is a like huge set it's like four stories tall yeah like three three or four stories tall and like all the rooms are modeled like you can go in like he, like james you watch james gunn like map out the adam warlock opening sequence and it, it is incredible and it again like this thing we're talking about of like the way they're shooting avengers endgame where it's like a fucking warehouse in atlanta and like none of the characters are in the same room it's all like blue screen or whatever like there's such a tactility to this movie still where very little of this has the kind of sludgy look that we talk about. Like a lot of it is because of just how ambitious this thing is. Like as much as we talked about like how much like these characters are on a mission in this movie, it's a two and a half hour movie. There is like a, a massive scale of this movie 
and but I just love like just all of the sets look so incredible and it, it's just that yeah just that tactility that I, I love and I miss from these movies that's also is a lot to say of like not just the uh, practical sets which are amazing and Disney I would love to go to some place that had a Guardians of the Galaxy land yeah in the they have they have the fucking Tower of Terror thing I forgot what like Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout which oh, right. is like the ride that's over in Disneyland. Right. Yeah, I think that's the thing is it, like those aesthetics I think are a lot because of those sets, but also just the practical nature of like the costumes. Like I love your background is of Nathan Fillion and his crew in yeah, these the, fucking uh, like flesh giant suits that look like <laughs> Yeah, what do they Please help me describe what these look cuz I had thought they look like they're called the Orgo Sentries by the way, yes. which is fucking cool name but they look like they're like clay face but like but like fleshy yeah it reminds me a lot of the butterball cenobite from the hellraiser series who has a very similar shape but it's like if you pulled off his clothing this is what he would look like underneath these organic literally organic looking costumes they're so odd and yeah. off, but also the makeup in this movie. The big thing about this movie yeah. is it broke the record for the most practical makeup effects. That was for previous record holder was the Jim Carrey Grinch. Yes, because because all everyone in that movie is a is a is a Whovian. Is that the term Whovian? I'm sorry to the citizens of Whoville. Cindy, <laughs> we apologize deeply. That movie also that was nominated and won a Best Makeup Award fairly. I also think this one might deserve it. I. There's, Absolutely. What is the makeup competition for this year? Well, uh, I think Bo is Afraid is one for me. I think Bo is Afraid is some of the Bo best. Bo is Afraid makeup. is one. I would say um, people, someone, someone, uh, a lot of people have been talking about this on on Twitter recently. But the the makeup in Oppenheimer is great. True, like it's great old man makeup and like kind of de aging. The, some the, some makeup. of the best, considering that's usually terrible. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, Asteroid City, but I feel like that's just. I mean, that's Wes. Like, Priscilla, you know, probably. Priscilla, of course. Barbie, yeah. right? But like, right. I mean, it is just like, it reminds me, and this is whole, this whole franchise kind of has that Star Wars kind of energy right. to it, of course, which Gunn is clearly like in- inspired by. But like, this movie feels like it has a lot of that in like just the background characters. And just like, you'll notice someone in the background be like, that guy looks fucking cool. And you'll just like rewind just to look at like a guy in the background. And there's so much of that in this movie. The whole planet that's made of fucking animal hybrids. Yes, yes, yes. It's so good. Just such weird to say makeup. There's a parrot lady. There's some there's rabbit a parrot people. Lady. The, ba- the vampire bats yeah. who are like mm-hmm. are the people who give us the exposition of where <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> but in this language that James Gunn wrote at least 150 words for. For this right. movie. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Not a huge language, but that's... That's conversational. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Doing like absolutely. A big thing, the word jube-jube, which becomes crucial to our climax, is friend. But if you say jube, you're just like, we're friends. But jube-jube is like, we are best friends. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned so much about a language that I can't use. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so funny. Um... But, but yeah, I think that tactility, like you were mentioning, really benefits this in a way that, like, you mentioned Star Wars. Mm-hmm. 
I I am someone who thinks the sequel trilogy almost has a similar track record. We won't go into this too much because there's a whole Star Wars season that looms over the horizon. Like oh yeah, star. <laughs> at some point, <laughs> I had a similar track record that I really liked Force Awakens and especially Last Jedi, and this is easily like everything I would have hoped and dreamed. Rise of Skywalker never could ever be. <laughs> right. I I mean like the really. It, great thing about this movie is that like and these three movies is that all three of them are so different from each other in like their locations in what they are showing you in their aesthetics in like their like you know i mean they're all colorful movies but like this movie has so many weird stuff that like we've talked about like the flesh planet and the uh, hume animals is what they're called uh the counter earth planet but just like that variety right like the variety of like locations and all of that stuff yeah that's kind of like the thing that you want from star wars you want to see like weird planets and weird creatures and aliens that you've never seen and yeah these movies like are really interesting in that sense yeah and you know i think we gotta pay some respect to somebody very crucial mr dave batista we have not talked about nearly that much and one of my one of my childhood heroes. I was a huge wrestling fan as as a kid. Oh right, yes. very big into WWE and WWF. Um, and I loved watching Dave Batista. He was one of my favorite wrestlers as a kid. I I just loved him and getting to see him like transition into like movies and in all of these movies, he's really great. But but really getting to see him become like a real actor, you know, so to speak, where he is like in a lot of in more dramatic roles other than this is great i I just i love it the big thing going into guardians of the galaxy i remember is a lot of people along with what you were talking about like is this gonna hit and like batista being like oh okay i mean sure the guy he was like in the man with the iron fists previously and stuff like that he was the true surprise to everyone just like this is such a wonderful comedic performance that's played so straight (laughs) Great makeup on his character. So memorable. Mm-hmm. He just looks like this big, like, grayscale man who just has a hearty laugh. And all this other stuff. He's very charming. Just the brief bit after they get through this ship, uh, the meat flesh ship, and uh, they're all inside. And Mantis, by the way, lands, like, on her neck, which is, like, yes. a great stunt. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's brutal. Uh, but uh, then, you know, Nathan Fillion comes in and all this other stuff. But then... The bit where Drax is off to the side while everyone else is just talking about, like, oh, we're all, like, angry and someone's talking to Mantis. It's like, are we angry? Mantis, you asshole! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's my favorite, I would say. Do you have a favorite Batista bit? Oh, my God. There's so many. It's it's when they're planning to, when they're first planning to rescue Rocket and they're like, we'll kill everyone. And it's like, no, we're not going to kill anyone. Kill one stupid guy that no one likes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's great I, yeah and like what is so great about his performance is like he's the straight man basically right and he talked a little bit about like it, you know having to kind of play straight and play it very sincere it is very difficult to do that and he really nails a lot of those like moments where you just he has to play it straight but it's so funny I mean, we should we should talk a little bit more about I guess some of the some of the cast, right? Because we've talked we right. talked about uh, Batista, talked about Cooper. I mean, Pratt is so interesting to me. Yes, because I 
I don't like him. <laughs> not real, not really. And like, I, I think, I, I, I don't know. I think he is just one of those actors where his his shtick just really, really grates on me. Like I just, I, I can't stand it. And yet, I think he's giving a genuinely great performance in this movie, and is just maybe the best performance he's given on in a movie yet. You don't feel about him in the Guardians movies in general that way, right? Well, no, no. That no. that that is kind of the thing about him is like I I very much don't like him as an actor outside of these movies. I don't like him as Mario. I don't want to fucking see him as Garfield. Um, <laughs> I liked him as Emmett, the the Lego Movie guy. Yeah, that yeah that that and, was and good. Here's, but, and I also have also I don't know you have you seen Parks and Rec? I've seen a few episodes here and there of like dabbled, but not not like all the way through. I also had that where I obviously I followed him from there. I was just right. like, oh my god, Parks and Rec. This is one of my favorite sitcoms. I love watching all the time, and he's fun on that show as Andy. And then of course he got buffed up for the first Guardians. Yeah, and voiceover like I said in the first Lego movie, and then in the Guardians movies, and then yeah. Not one after that. <laughs> no, he'll. He, he. I mean, he like the movies he is in, right? Like, like the Jurassic World movies, or like, yeah. you know, the Tomorrow War, which is actually not a bad Didn't movie. See that. But like, it, it, eh, it's okay. It's, <laughs> okay. it's a good video game movie Rousing. that is not based off a video game. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, I, I just find him so uninteresting on like on screen and as a as a lead, especially like I think he's just not interesting, but he is really great in this movie and like i talked i mentioned this earlier but like the scene where they're in the elevator and he's kind of like giving you the the in case you missed it for like infinity war and Endgame, and yes. it's just the way he delivers it where i'm just like he's 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 giving the energy that like he has on parks and rec from what i've seen of him of of like that feels just like a sitcom bit and, and it's some of the stuff that he does really great as star lord and this is the only one I think, well, volume two, I think as well, but like at the end when he gives that like scream when like he thinks Rocket is dying, it's so emotionally yeah. compelling to me. And I, I've just never thought that about him in any other movie. <laughs> also, I think he does a great job with another kind of interesting thing about this movie. The first fuck dropped in MCU film. A great bit. Um, Yes, and the thing is, like, there's a way, like, you could do that, and then you do the worst thing possible, just having Guardian, act, like, Rocket say, like, we're the Guardians of the fucking galaxy. Sure. Which would be terrible, mm-hmm. versus having it just be a simple, like, character-based bit of him looking over at Karen Gill and his nebula, just saying, like, push the thing, push the fucking thing, and then lift him. <laughs> it's just so casual. It was improvised by him. Yeah. It, it, yeah, which is, is great, like... I just love that moment too because like it's Karen Gillan like holding down the button and then she like stops for a second and goes okay now what <laughs> and then he gives that great line yeah it, it's it, it's great to have that in such a like small character moment where like it, it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel like the big like oh my god they said fuck where it just feels like this really great moment between these characters that like there are so much of these throughout this movie and they all just kind of build and like accumulate to create these great characters that we also like know so well. And that's why we like, why they're so compelling to uh, on screen. Yeah. In case you couldn't tell, I think we both kind of like this movie, but it's pretty good. And I haven't even, we haven't even talked about 
the Radiohead needle drop because <laughs> well we haven't talked about the soundtrack in general which is a big part of these movies of course that's true but start yeah. we kick off with Radiohead's creep now now let me set the stage for you Thomas <laughs> there I am a jaded MCU viewer in the far off distant past of May 2023 <laughs> yes that long time ago when I was so young um <laughs> I'm interested in this because it is a a a Guardians movie. They're the two mm-hmm. other movies I really just like, actually really like of of this franchise. And just you know, there's just when I think I'm out, they they pull me back in because it starts with a the acoustic version of Creep, and I I love when movies play Radiohead because they're my favorite band, but like. Creep can often feel like such a like cop out of like yeah okay it's you know it's like playing like smells like Teen Spirit right like oh is that a very popular song especially with with white people yes in particular and in movies we um, firmly recommend uh, the Patrice O'Neill bit that he did on a radio show about Creep just okay. as like a white person's favorite song uh, one of the best yeah. comedy bits I've ever seen <laughs> in any film but but like. Uh, Yes, creep. Uh, well, of course, creep comes well, just, in. It creeps up it, on you. It does creep up on you. It was very. I, I was like, I recognize these chords, and then <laughs> you hear Tom York, and it, it, yeah, and like, again, yeah, it feels so. It can feel so cheap if you just play creep as like the Radiohead song, and yet it genuinely feels great because of like, it, 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 it kind of encapsulates the mental state of like where these characters are. Of like, they are all outside. They're all creeps, right? Like, you know, what they're the all weirdos. What the hell are they doing here? They don't yeah, belong, I don't belong here. here. All this stuff, right? It, it's it's great. I love that it is the acoustic version of it because it just it starts you off with this sense of like finality of like, oh, this is the last movie, and I also just love like we see a lot like there's becoming more and more of a trend of like modern Hollywood movies will play like very popular songs and kind of just for no reason other than just the nostalgia purpose of it of like, Hey, you know, this song, let's play it in a movie for five seconds. But I just love the way that this movie and there's like with the, the beastie boys one later on, like the way that this movie is like, we're not going to just play these songs for five seconds as like a novelty. We're going to play the whole song and we're going to set this sequence right? The opening credits, that whole hallway sequence to this song. And I, I just love that. I love that. And it's, even though it is my favorite band and it starts this movie off on a, on a very high note. <laughs> Would you say that's your favorite needle drop? Cause I think it's a very, like, obviously the soundtracks in these movies, like the first guardians has a lot of really solid songs, some of obscure ones in terms of like that seventies era pop. And then, uh, you know, volume, Two has like weird ones. Then you have this movie, which has has like some familiar songs. Reasons by Earth, Wind, and Fire is such a weird fucking choice. Yeah, but it's so rules for that whole sequence, and it's like it's also it's scored to it, but in this way that feels like playful. But then it gets terrifying for a second because Drax nearly dies, and then it's like, all right, we're back on. <laughs> let's let's put it back up. We're good. As much as like I think the whole soundtracks thing like became uh, the big obsession with these movies like they're great choices and like they're really great song choices they don't feel like an uh, an executive being like you know we need to put this in there because the kids will recognize this song or whatever right like they play the fucking flaming lips like what a weird choice in a blockbuster and like i keep thinking of like the mario movie 
and it really bothered oh, me in that Lord. movie how they yeah. play like yeah just like you know take on me right like you know it, it's and it, these movies don't do that which is just so it's just so refreshing I, I love that well especially with particularly in this movie the big innovation is now that he has the zoom that he got from the end of volume <laughs> two uh it has a larger selection that has you know a wider variety um that's not my favorite needle drop though it's hard to like okay. for some to pick i have one it's the ending of the movie i don't know if we want to talk about that near the end <laughs> oh that. man i mean we can get into it now honestly i would say it's it's fantastic i mean to have an mcu movie end with like this whole like basically like a dance sequence almost <laughs> like, it's a dreamworks <laughs> dance party ending yeah it, it's great and I, I I love just seeing all the characters give this sort of like this like scream of like almost joy or like relief. Like all the characters do that do that at the end, and it, it just it is this sort of like really comforting. Just I don't know. There's something so cozy about like that ending. I I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I want to. I can't get to the ending right now, Brian. Okay. There's still so much we haven't talked about in this movie. There is. I mean... Uh... We gotta go a bit more rapid fire. We've been... We, to be fair, we talked for an hour before we talked about the movie itself. This is true. This is true. But, um, but um, you know what? Uh, a bit more about Mantis, I think, in this particular movie. Mm-hmm. I think, because, like, I thought she was a pretty solid introduction in 2, and then all of a sudden the holiday special happens. But then in 3, I really like the fact that she does feel a part of the team, but you can see why she would want to potentially drift off at the end like have some time to herself uh, right. along with peter cool that's the thing like all the the beauty of that ending is like how well these arcs are set up because it's like this one truly i think is maybe the one that made me the most emotional out of any of the guardians movies oh, my yeah. favorite emotional beat in any of them is the ending of volume two i'm like a mess at the end of volume two i think it's yeah. such a beautiful the cat stevens song just wonderful but this one has so many tearjerker moments throughout just like all the stuff with rocket and his buddies who you know we talked about briefly uh and we didn't talk about because you know they lived after that and they had a very full lives um <laughs> it's it's such an upsetting brutal bit that is like i said the main reason why i'm not recommending my nephew see that this particular fucking movie it, it's and but at the same time upsetting yeah yeah it's truly yeah, to the degree I saw it in Dolby, and I did see a kid run out. I mean, I I kind of yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it feels not at all exploitative, and it feels truly like he has empathy for yeah. these characters. They do have a lot of like just tragic beauty to them. That's mm-hmm. like also it's it's something that feels like it's you know it's Island of Doctor Moreau. It's classic like sort of horror science fiction particular genre influence coming out in this way that keeps you like so invested despite like if you told me on paper so like hey there are these test subjects that are like they can all talk and also uh they have robot parts i'm like cyborg pets sign me up but it's like oh no it's so horrible to see their existence but they're they're trying to keep things light they're having fun as much as they can uh and then and then that fucking bit happens and it's soul crushing (laughs) It is, yeah, and like like I was mentioning earlier, like I I was kind of fearful of, of rewatching these again because like, but they don't feel they don't linger too much, and they they're doled out at like at the perfect time because like 
when you get to one, you're always just like, oh my gosh, yes, we get to get experience this flashback. And when it, once it's over and you're getting over the horrible thing that you've seen, probably, like, you're back to the action with the Guardians. And it, it all, it, it handles, it goes back and forth between those two, like, timelines so well. Like, just the pacing of this movie is great. And, like, even though it's two and a half hours and it's, like, a very big, massive movie, it, it moves along at a very good pace i think because obviously if you told me on paper like that's half the movie i'm like oh man this is gonna be a nightmare right a tonal yeah. like shifts but at the same time guardians exists so well because of its tonal shifts throughout all the movies have mm-hmm. like very interesting fascinating like drifts not also in like genre like horror bits pop up here um throughout with the stuff like this and it just feels like gun has such a control over like who his characters are that he can put them in any scenario you know who these guys are. So putting them in this like weird, almost different genre setup still works. Even like this version of Gamora as well, which I think is like a big thing. Is like he obviously got dealt that hand that we were talking about earlier uh, from the Endgame movie, and it's like okay, what do I do with this version of the character? And she is like so wonderfully portrayed as like, hey, look, I'm like a space pirate, dude. <laughs> yes, that's what I want to do, and like I'm. I'm not that girl you're talking about. And that that whole dynamic works so wonderfully to like as you see her grow to like respect Peter, but not necessarily be like, I'm not gonna like be in a relationship with you, but like I can see why other me likes you. The scene at the at the flesh place when like all hell's broken loose and everything and like he sort of tells her like, you know, don't worry, I'll get I'll get the information from her. Like I know how to work her or whatever and and, you know the way that you know you think it doesn't pay off but then eventually it does like he's like they they'll understand if i talk from my heart and then he's like yeah i'm not doing that i'm just i just wanted the information like you you, yeah it is like that character gets to naturally see him kind of be charming and be really like yeah you understand why that that gamora like fell in love with him and it's 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 kind of great to see like I love that just Saldana's like reaction is really great of like, she's just like, God damn it. He fucking got me. Like, yeah, he's so good. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. One of the most beautiful little bits of just the two of them saying goodbye to each other. And Gamora's about to leave. And then just is like, it would have been fun. Just like, Oh God. Yeah. So good. But then she also gets her happy ending. With Sylvester Stallone, who's also in this movie as well. After he gets the two. and. He gets the and. He gets the and. He earned the and. He's very fun when he, he pops is. up. In this. <laughs> Particularly great. as like the proud papa, just like coming for a hug. It's just like it's so great. And the, at the end, when like they're all like supporting Gamora, he's like, "This is what you gotta be like, guys. Like, come on, this is it." Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, you know what, I want to go ahead and uh, jump into like a couple other, the bigger cast members we haven't talked about real quick. Karen Gillan, who is such an interesting part of these movies where like she was basically like a pretty fun henchwoman in the first Guardians, and then she becomes a vital emotional tether to the entire thing in volume two. And then in volume three, it's like such an interesting character where she still is herself, but she actually has to confront something about herself, which I think all of the characters to some degree kind of like get these like great rewarding things where it's like her learning to be more empathetic. Like the bit where Rocket comes back out of his coma 
they get the med pack and everything and they are able to like get the bypass and all this other shit and rocket is awoken and over the intercom nebula is just like tearing up and just like so emotionally invested and like all that stuff in the like with the kids that whole thing i just think is like so well done yeah and i mean like yeah it's so interesting to think that she is kind of one of the most interesting characters in this movie to me like i I love her performance as nebula um and like the makeup's killer as well i always love her like her makeup is so sick absolutely and like right i mean like she is the henchman in like the first one and you kind of don't think much about her other than like she looks cool but like she is genuinely an emotional core of this movie and it is very interesting, I think, the way that, like, her character is kind of, yeah, confronted in this way. And, like, but also, I, some of the funnier stuff that she does is so great. I love the scene where, like, it's one of the scenes where Peter is, like, telling Gamora, like, you know, he's kind of like, oh, like, we had something once, whatever. Oh, yeah, while they're on the flesh planet and trying to get the file and yes, everything. Yes, and it's Gamora saying, like, that doesn't sound like me. It sounds more like her. And then they have, like, this moment of, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> well, no, they laugh in this show. They both laugh. Just like, I can't believe yeah. it. And then he looks over. It's like, don't look at me like a lost puppy. You want to lie down. His great line where he's like, I just never noticed how black your eyes were. Which is so, which is oh, so yeah. great. Which, that's a, that feels like that's an example of a joke where, like, obviously he's being insensitive because she later talks about just like, my eyes were replaced <laughs> by my evil. By my father as a form of torture. He's like, he picked a good set. <laughs> that feels more like Peter Quill being in, insensitive in the way that I prefer, because he's trying to be complimentary, <laughs> but in like the worst possible way. And it's just like, that's why the joke works a lot better than so many of the fucking jokes. I can't get into it. In Infinity War, in particular, just all just, the joke bits with just them one, are terrible. Just pick one. <laughs> you know, if I had to pick one, it's actually Drax thinking that he's invisible that's like the worst that's really like the worst attempt at like this is just dumb yeah and not fun well it's like funny at first and then it, it kind of drags on for a while from what i remember as opposed to in this movie there are fun gags that drag on just enough like the zargnut thing which is hilarious yeah. we're just like oh do you want a zargnut no and then later on with mantis it's just like oh, i could use a zargnut they're all gone yes. <laughs> He's like two. That's enough. He eats two of them. <laughs> yeah. And they, like, again, like all of these moments, like there's so many of these little character moments of just like them being like just so annoying to each other. And like so just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. But like they all add up. And it's one of the reasons that you just like become so emotionally invested in these characters. And like I think what's great about this movie in particular is that like Gunn has already done all of this character development over these last two movies. Yes. And you've gotten so much. And, you know, even you got to see them in movies that James Gunn didn't make. So, like, you kind of still got to see them and be with them. But, like, it's... Yeah, like, I loved feeling embarrassed with them about being in Thor Love and Thunder. (laughs) Yeah, oh boy. That's literally what every person in Thor Love and Thunder from the Guardians cast looks literally just like, oh, God, I don't want to be yeah. here but see, even rocket who had to be animated that way. <laughs> yes yeah but, but we're able to have all this yeah. kind of 
this payoff, this emotional payoff with all these characters like Nebula and like Rocket. Like Groot, who we haven't talked about at all. Groot. Groot. I mean... He is Groot. He is Groot. I... Do you have a favorite, like, era of Groot? Like, do you you prefer, like, normal Groot, baby Groot? I don't know. I think I just like Groot in general. I I like all vibes of Groot. The original character, R.I.P., which we should note, that's like, James Gunn always insists on this, and I do agree with him. Like, it does feel like over the arc of these movies, that guy was a full-grown man who was completely different than, like, the baby that we get who turns into a teenager and then turns into... Now this, like, adorable, like, jock college kid, which I think just, like, I I love, I really love this mode for him, too, where it's just, like, especially in the holiday special, there's a great bit where he's, like, jamming out to the song that plays at the opening, and he's just, like, a fucking drunken frat boy saying, I am Groot, and so good, Um, but he's very sweet and sincere in this, like, I love so much, um, one, in terms of just, like, a sci-fi level, um, the bit where he turns into the octopus Groot and just has like all the guns come out oh my gosh um rules that's great but also even kaiju Groot which is a funny gag (laughs) both times it happens and Peter Um, Quill going no especially the bit where he like has his (laughs) full kaiju and then like his tongue is like waggling and you can Um, hear Vin Diesel just going like ah (laughs) oh Vin truly especially after look as much as we haven't talked about Fast X in any capacity, oh. I don't think. Um, after such disappointment for Vin. Uh, well, it was funny. That was a disappointment because it came out like right after, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing. Because it's like, it's like, that was Memorial Day. This was like Cinco de Mayo, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I, I'm so impressed with like the few bits, obviously, he does here. Particularly like the I love you guys at the very end. Yeah. That's tremendous. That's a wonderful little bit. And I love how it works. It's just like, oh no, James Gunn talked about this. And I agree with this theory. It feels like Groot has to like bond with you in order for him to understand you. Yes. Right. That's why Gamora here doesn't understand. Cause it's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's a great kind of throwback to like the original where it's like, she has that kind of like, oh, he only says I am Groot. Right. And I, I love that. It is like, you're still doing that joke of like, he, like what is he what he that's a language like what but it again it feels right because it's a character who doesn't know who that is and i just i love when she's like you guys are just making things up that he's saying right <laughs> that one or i love like i think it's towards the end uh one of the set pieces when he like crash lands the ship and he's his i am group he's saying like did that look cool just, just, yeah, going into that whole, like, him being, like, this frat guy, like, you know, whatever he is at this point. It's great. Um, but but also a very lovely moment between the two of them near the end of the movie where, like, they're on that little balcony in nowhere. And he just kind of, like, looks almost bashfully and he's just, like, it was nice working with you or whatever. And they, like, shake hands. It's so sweet because, like, that's, like, his aunt from, like, the other movies. Right. Who died horribly. And now, like, she's here, but she's, like, leaving. But it's like, I get it. But I don't know. I miss you. It's so yeah. cute. They feel like a true found family. And that's what I love about these movies so much. When we get to, like, this, this fucking tremendous ending. Where we have all these different characters just colliding and working so well. Even, like, as much as, like, I kind of referenced Adam Warlock mm-hmm. earlier. 
and we kind of have disagreement, right? They're like, you really like him. I really like him, too. I love Will Poulter. I think he's funny. Yeah. Especially when he gets, like, that thing thrown at him at the beginning, and it's like, who threw that? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> yeah, he's really great. Um, I don't yes. know. No, I, I just, I like him. I, I think he is a bit underused in the movie, and I think it, this feels like the movie is, like, it's very stuffed with characters and with like stuff yes. and it and he he does feel kind of like a a bit too much right but like i love having him and elizabeth debicki i, I will yeah. say like just the scene where the high evolutionary gets like a step stool so he can be taller than elizabeth debicki <laughs> so great will elizabeth debicki be tall but not taller yes. and also it's just a great moment of like i don't know because Eliz- elizabeth debicki is so tall like she does have this kind of like kind of commanding presence almost and having that character kind of be above her both literally but also like the way he makes her like he they're working for him to get rocket it's a great kind of setup of like how menacing this villain is but um i don't know i i just i just think i like the bits that he has i love the little dog that adam warlock gets later on i think that that's a very funny bit it was originally gonna be a cat Mm, okay but then captain marvel came along they already... It was like, no, I'm going to change it to, like, this weird, like, fuzzy brown alien thing. It looks like a brownie. It looks, like, so adorable. It does. And then I, I like that stuff, and I also like him flying around. I think that's actually shot very well. Mm-hmm. The moment I saw that first scene where he flies in, I'm just like, oh, this is how he's going to do Superman in this fucking right. rules. Mm-hmm. That's where I was immediately just like, sign me the fuck up for Legacy. <laughs> I need a whole movie of that. Um, and I think he works solidly. He's developed throughout, and I think he gets, like... Some solid stuff in the finale. I just agree with you that, like, he's kind of a, a cherry. We already have a cherry. I don't need two cherries. Right. Yeah. But two cherries are still sweet <laughs> on the Sunday. Uh, and, yeah, he, he all it all culminates, obviously, with, like, all these people who we've mostly talked about, I would say, because we're running long. Yeah, I think before we get to the ending ending of the movie, is there anything else we haven't mentioned that you want to shout out about this movie? Um, I mean, all, I think all the set pieces look great. Um, I think that, like, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about, like, kind of the, just the whole gray sludge thing of the MCU and just how, like, really, uh, just another thing is an issue I have, I think, with a lot of the modern Marvel stuff is that, like, it just doesn't feel like, maybe because of, like, just the way that these movies are made, it just doesn't feel like the directors are given the kind of creative freedom to make these things look as dynamic as they should maybe there's a bit of that like indie director who's made a movie for two hundred thousand dollars makes a 200 million dollar movie right like that doesn't of course there's that angle to it but Mm -hmm. just this movie has such dynamic you know action scenes they look incredible you know they don't look like the greatest action scenes of you know they don't they're not avatar 2 level of like incredible cgi but again like i think they look great but they also do have two cyborgs one is like a falcon guy and one is a pig voiced by judy greer which i just got to say one slight mark against this that reminds me of the mcu get judy greer to play like a cyborg pig henchman and you'll give her a lot to do that's true she says a couple things (laughs) come on even as a cyborg pig yeah judy greer needs justice that's true I swear. This is a pro Judy Greer podcast. Um, <laughs> in every way. 
Um, in every way. No, but yeah, I, I just think that the the action scenes look great, and, and they're genuinely ambitious for what they're trying to do. Like they feel like we talked about like the one the 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 flesh planet thing, but just the final set piece and like the uh, just him destroying Counter Earth and all all of that stuff and the way that that moves right of like I love that this movie is like so much of it is focused on like where characters are right yes. where like nebula's like hey bring me the ship and then drax is like um so about that we left the ship we're not on the ship anymore we're right next to right, you we're right next to you <laughs> we're gonna get on the ship to save peter but peter falls that shot of him like falling and like ah, like <laughs> you know it's so His brilliant escape plan <laughs> it's so great but like yeah just the way that it's focused on that there's just it just feels so different to the way that a lot of the action sequences in these movies are handled. And, and I just found that so refreshing and just so exciting to watch. It has the structure of a farce as well, which is what's so great. Yeah, with them going. With the whole bit about just like, them. right, we're on the ship. It's like, hey, where are you on the ship? It's like, no, we're, I got off the ship. You got off the ship? We're on the ship trying to save you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's so great. And I don't know. Yeah, just the way you see all of them move throughout that sequence of of the way that they yeah are in these different locations it's just it's it's great on their new ship which do you know what the name of their new ship is in this brian i do not because it was called the milano but i'm assuming it's not that one no new ship new ship who does i'll give you a hint it's named after an artist who had a song featured in a guardians of the galaxy film (sighs) man that really um, Arguably the most famous one. Oh fuck! Why am I blanking on all of the move the the music in these movies now? Just tell me. There's no way I'm gonna get it. <laughs> First movie, Moon Age Daydream, by Mr. David oh, Bowie. David. Is it the namesake of the Bowie? The Bowie. That's great. That is great. Rest in peace, David Bowie. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's a, a fun little bit. I'm, okay, you know what? Another bit I will say, one of my few other problems with this movie, the one joke that I think falls completely flat and feels the most like an MCU bit is during this climax when the high evolutionary comes on and then Peter proceeds to call him like a robocop-looking asshole. <laughs> and then he crushes, it's like, he hung up. Fine joke, fun joke. And then Gamora has to pause and say, you think? Uh, like, uh, you think? And it's like, yeah. Uh, Kevin Feige was literally just like, James, I'll let you do anything, but I get had to get one joke in here, one Marvel joke. Dude, I mean, there's a few moments I think that lean into that a bit more. Um, okay. For me, I but but I, but they're not. I don't linger. No, where are they? We've been very effusively positive. I think you're. Well, I mean, you like this a bit less than even I do. Well, well, I mean, that's the thing is that like because there's just a few of them and they don't really linger in my mind really. Like I, I don't really, they don't register because I think the, there's just so much other good stuff around them. And I think that the writing, you know, around it is so good that like those moments happen. I roll my eyes and then I'm like, Ugh, whatever. Like, you know, you, you got to take something with these. Marvel you think movies. is the only one that like stops the movie dead to do it. That's why I think that's the most egregious right, example sure. at the very least. Right, I agree. Yeah. Um, but there isn't as much of that in this movie, which I think weird considering right. this is like 
the the comedy stuff right like this is this is the one that's wild and weird and wacky but it has the least amount of that which is it's just yeah it's crazy but but it still has a fair amount of that like like the metaphor bit with drax i think is very funny it's an incredibly (laughs) hilarious sequence it's really good uh all of the stuff where drax just like pummels that one guy for the motorcycle and it's just like mantis get down it's like are we gonna go back to the ship (laughs) yes And then they go off and she's like, why are you such an asshole? Well, <laughs> I love that she like gets on, he go, he rides off, and then she's like, Drax, but then doesn't get off because like she can't get off. <laughs> she's on the motorcycle. No. That's great. I was going to say, I love the way that the his headquarters looks, like that red like pyramid looking thing looks fucking insane. Wonderful set. Great set. Yeah, and that whole sequence where they fall like this is a big thing with the MCU that we've been talking about we've talked about a lot of the practical stuff but I would say Guardians bar none has the most consistent CG effects over these oh absolutely all these movies like the first Guardians looks a bit rough now mm-hmm. like a, a bit but two and three look it's just like these are just such phenomenally well realized characters that still at the same time exist in a practical world and interact with practical people and like it just feels like even for like those big creatures like the Judy Greer and the big bird guy there is like a big guy who's in like mocap and has like a giant fucking popsicle stick with at the very top like the actual eyeline for this bird guy right i, I mean like it's crazy it, it is and like as much as we like we talked about earlier kind of the whole like marvel is having a bit of a visual effects crisis right now um, which they should pay their visual effects artists and their visual effects artists should unionize. But um, yes. you would not really think that watching this movie if you didn't know about it. Like, incredible job from the visual effects team on this movie. Like, I think this movie looks stunning. Like, those sequences with Rocket, like the flashbacks, are so great. And you're watching these, like, CGI animals and you would never be able to tell, really. Or, or rather, you would you just don't register that they're CGI. They're just, they feel so real and the the effects work on them is so great it's sadly a smart decision to put them in that particular setting right because they don't move around a lot yeah and it's a bit darker like, right yes but i think that's that's a great decision on a filmmaking level and that's the thing i think that's because like all these elements are so well lit and everything that at the same time when we can get sillier like when we have these like pig and a fucking bird and all these other different animal creatures coming up like that one shot of the guy, one rising from like inside of the fucking ship, and it looks yeah. like a big like dragon type thing. Like it looks so cool. It's, yeah, <laughs> it, it's it like the the simplest way I can put this, and it looks like a movie, you know. And like <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but like a lot of the other MCU stuff looks like just t. It looks like it's made for TV. It looks like stuff that just you know a lot of been like. A lot smarter people than me have, like, written about, like, the way that digital and, like, this kind of all-digital world has kind of hurt the way that movies look. But, like, yeah, that shot, I know know exactly the shot you're talking about because I was like, oh, my God, this looks incredible. This does not look like a Marvel movie, right, with all the derogatory – in all the derogatory ways that I can can mean that. It looks like a movie. A moment I love, which we didn't really talk about that much, is the – the moment where Rocket escapes and also claws the absolute shit out of the High Evolutionary's face, the yes. scream that Bradley Cooper like lets out after um, what's her Lila. Lila 
after she's the cardling herself after she's been killed is so heartbreaking and like it's incredible that like cooper is able to do that with like just his voice and obviously like the performance by sean gunn which we talked about earlier but it is it's one of the moments that genuinely like stopped me and was like oh my god i'm getting like really emotional um yeah yeah one of my favorite moments of the movie big shout out also to you know we haven't mentioned them by name but lila the honor mm-hmm. uh teeth's my favorite the walrus i love him <laughs> he's, he's very yeah he has like an eeyore energy i have been thinking <laughs> <laughs> oh. and floor who is like the most terrifying i would say a little, but also yeah so cute on like in a very sad way yeah very like innocent they're all kind of they're all like that which is just yeah which is why that that sequence hits like so much harder yeah especially with like after rocket like this his scream and then the high up the sharing mocks him and then all the scratching stuff and which that was like truly like (laughs) horrific and the way it's shot where like there's a shot of like his mouth and you see like blood but then like the rest of the shot is just like this blurry like it, it looks really interesting like someone made a filmmaking decision that wasn't cowtech. Can you imagine? Um, <laughs> but this ending, let's let's talk about it. Uh, so after all of this has happened, and you know everybody ends up safe, none of the guardians die, which I expected honestly going into this movie. Same. At least one of them was going to die. Uh, but no, all our space friends get together, and they say goodbye to Gamora, and they're like, you know what? I, Peter Quill. Gotta take some time. Gotta go back home. Me with my grandpa, Greg Henry, of the James Gunn Sable, who is in every Guardians movie, including in two. Is he? he the same character is like on like when remember when the Dairy Queen actually starts like exploding oh, on of Earth? Of course, yes. And all that stuff. He's like in a car, just like oh no. Right. Okay. I remember now. Yeah. Yes. Um. But then yeah, he's just like I gotta go meet up with him, and then Mantis is like you know what yeah I gotta go too, and then. Drax is just like, I'll go with you. <laughs> and it's like, no, you. I want to go by myself. That's the whole point. I love, yeah, the line that he has of like, you need someone to protect you. Like, not in a bad way, just because like, what does he say? Like, because of your like stupid decisions or something? Because of your weakness. Yes. And stupid, <laughs> you're stupid in your weak decisions. Um, and then everyone's like, no, you got to stay here, Drax, because you got to help me take care of all these kids that we saved. Would you even talk about that whole sequence and how great all that is? Yeah during the climax and how it escalates like all right we gotta save drax and mantis like no we're here but we gotta save these kids and then oh we gotta save the animals yeah. and then they're all you know hanging out there though and uh, all that stuff also we glossed over it but drax actually talking to the kids and you realize just, like what his actual value to the group is and it's so like empathetic and beautiful and sweet and then later on just like nebula says you weren't born to be a destroyer. He's born to be a You're dad. Born to be a dad. Drax oh. the dad. <laughs> Drax the dad. <laughs> if he returns, he won't return. Spoilers, but he's just not coming. <laughs> he's honestly, thank God, because he's such a great yeah. actor. And yeah. but this is a great send off for him, just ending on this note for his character mm-hmm. that he's a dad, truly, because we established his backstory, and we didn't give him any chance to even like hit Thanos in Endgame. Bullshit. Um, but anyway, uh, I'll see you in hell, yeah, Russo it's, it's, brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
but yeah, but that whole ending like works so wonderfully for him. And Nebula ends up saying like, "I'm gonna run the city" because she has this empathy that's going on still. The city that includes fucking Kraglin, yeah, and Cosmo. He gets to he gets to wield the Yondu's like arrow thing because he can't like do it at the with beginning. The, with the confidence of the ghost of Yondu, <sighs> briefly, Rooker had to come back for a shot, guys. I'm Mary Poppins, I'm down for y'all. Me. <laughs> maybe my favorite line reading of the entire MCU maybe like <laughs> pretty pretty good pretty good odds on that um but yeah and then Kraglin getting his arc and Cosmo being a good dog yes. she's a good dog and that running gag throughout in the cameo table yep of course Howard. like Howard the Duck mm-hmm. um and Lloyd Kaufman the main guy at Troma yeah yeah all, like they all get to be like led by Nebula and then yeah, it's just like, but who's going to lead the Guardians? Rocket. It's going to be Rocket. Baby. It's do the fucking Ravager salute, which I never thought I would feel so invested in. Right. Until after Volume 2, where I'm just like, oh my god, the Ravagers. And now they, they carry that over, and it's so sweet that Rocket gets to be this leader. And then Groot says his whole thing, just like, I love you guys. And telepathically connects with all these people, because he loves them. They're his family, Brian. Yeah. And like... I love this ending because like, like you, I was expecting like one of them is going to die. Right. Like, but of course we are, this is Marvel, the illusion of change, all of that stuff. I find it so much more compelling that rather than the, the, the finality being, well, one of us is dead, so we can't do this anymore. Blah, blah, blah. That it is just like breaking up the band, you know, like that, that's kind of how they treat it. Just the sense that we can't let these characters move on right and of course that whole marvel thing it was like they're gonna bring back iron man they're gonna bring back captain america downey and evans i find it so much more compelling this movie being like these characters have moved on they have gone beyond what we know them as they need to move on from this right like we can move on we don't need to keep bringing these fucking characters back and i just love this ending and i love how it ends with yeah, not them dying, but just them being in different places of their lives and moving on. And, like, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, even though this movie does tease, at the very end, a Star-Lord will return. And like, which, of course, he'll return. Of course. Of course he will. Yeah, yes. and, like, I'm fine with that. You know, like, bring Pratt for a movie, have him show up. That That's fun. Whatever. But I, I just... I love just the way that this ends and the way that it is an ending. And like, I'm sure that, you know, Kevin and company are already figuring out ways to bring back star Lord and whatever, but like Kevin and company is killed with two K's yes. for each word. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, this feels like a very true ending as much of an ending as we can get with Marvel being this ongoing thing and all of that stuff. But it, it it's the closest we can get. Just an exclamation point with the dog days are over. Our ending needle drop, which, like, Florence and the Machine was a band I remember vaguely when I was born in high school. They, like, first became a thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, oh, these are fun songs, but I kind of lost track. And then just hearing this is, like, the ending bit, it works so beautifully for these characters to, like, just dance and let off some fucking steam yeah. to this incredibly fun song that's like jovial and then when he gets like melancholy 
It's for that lead up with Peter on Earth. Go and see his grandpa. Yeah. Go and see his grandpa again. It's, yeah, it's such a great ending. I never thought I would cry over the guy who just appears in every James Gunn movie. Because that's, that's the thing with, like, a lot of people who are in this movie are people that James Gunn is just using a lot of things. Sure. He loves doing that repertory cast shit. Mm-hmm. And then Greg Henry's the guy who's just like, oh, it's him. He's like an Easter egg. He's like Stan Lee, you know, in the MCU parlance. Right. R.I.P. Stan. R.I.P. Who, no matter what the movie, the cameo was kind of fun. Yes. His cameo in, in The Avengers is still, I think, really great. Where he's like, superheroes in New York? No way. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> um, I do love his one in Volume 2, where he's with the Watchers. <laughs> and implying that it's just like all of his different characters are from different universes. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a fun one. Um, though they can't beat Into the Spider-Verse. But that's a different that's discussion. True. Yeah. For an entirely different day. Um, because yeah, this, this dance happens and all our characters are off on their separate ways. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it's such a phenomenal way to just truly add a sense of finality just in terms of like the characters just moving on to a different part of their lives. On a crass level, you could see it being like just an open door. Like we can bring back any of them if we want. Sure. But there's still just the like, not nah, like the band broke up and there's some new members like in the mid credit scene. That's cute. I with Warlock, the one little girl. I really love that mid credit scene because it is just them talking about like music. And <laughs> I love the little girls like Britney Spears and Corn. <laughs> I gotta give it up to the man Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I, it is great. And I, lo- I, I genuinely like that put that like mid credit scene because it like, I don't know, feels like a very fun little like. And here's what they're doing right now. Like, here's how these characters are kind of hanging out and doing their thing. And I, I love yeah. it. It doesn't, it's no, like, it, there's no setup for fucking phase six and the multiverse or whatever. Get the fuck out of here. Perfect. It, yeah, that's yeah. really great. It's a really great just actual sense of finality, which we should just talk about maybe as, as a postscript now that we're nearly done with the movie before we get to, like, final thoughts. Um Marvel Cinematic Universe is in a weird time as we're recording this particular episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, we are recording this shortly after the Marvels has opened mm-hmm. to not not great opening weekend. No. And it feels like it's maybe kind of a trend considering we've had like Eternals bomb horribly. I think Ant-Man Quantumania didn't do as well. Yes, bombed horribly. Right. Um, and the Marvels now. Right. And it is this weird thing of, like, they've had, like, these bond, these kind of misses, but they've had the hits, right? They had the No Way Home, right? They got people right. in there because of the nostalgia. They had Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and this. Black Widow's, like, a weird situation. Yeah, Black Widow is a, yeah, um, also a bad movie, but. <laughs> yeah, um, honestly. I think the big thing with Guardians Volume 3 is, like, this is where it truly felt to me. Like, after I saw this in Dolby... I just was like, had tears in my eyes. Tears. Tears from the last, like, five or so minutes of this movie. Just crushing me on, like, a sweetness level of just, like, our friends are from space are gonna be okay. Yeah. And it's so good. And then I was just like, I don't ever need to see another one of these fucking Marvel movies in a theater. <laughs> if I do watch them, they will be on Disney Plus if I happen to have it. Um, right. At that particular point in time. Um, like when the Marvels is on Disney Plus, I don't know when 
two days. I was gonna say yeah, uh, like <laughs> the bottoms. Um, I'll watch it in the background while I'm doing other things and be like, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it is very crazy to think about, and I thought I thought about this last night as I was doing my double feature of like of those two movies, but like it's weird to think that like once or twice a year, right? Obviously during the summer, maybe during the fall. You go and see a Marvel movie during February, like fucking Ant Man. <laughs> <Right. economy. laughs> but like, you would go and see these movies, and they felt like events. And people, you would go, and people would be wearing their Marvel shirts, and they would be so excited for this. And yeah, who would wear a Marvel shirt? <laughs> Thomas is wearing a Guardians of the Galaxy shirt. Um, has the little mixtape on it. It's, it's the one cool. Marvel shirt I own. <laughs> it's the one I. Own. It is admittedly a cool shirt. Um, Thank you. But, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, other than, like, how it, what I mentioned, like, the interest in Black Panther I had and Doctor Strange, this does feel kind of like the last gasp of the MCU. Like, it, it truly does feel just like, at least for me right now, right? Like, I'm sure they're do, they'll do restructuring, but, like, it's really the antithesis of so much that's wrong with the MCU that getting to see this is kind of, like you said, like, I'm like, great, I got this. It's a fantastic movie. It's one of the best that they've ever made. And now I'm okay. Um, yeah, like you, like I, I didn't go see the Marvels. I'll watch it when it's on Disney Plus. And I just, yeah, don't have any interest in like any of their other stuff. But what you don't have interest in Thunderbolts? Oh man, yeah, with the with that thing's gotten delayed like 500 times, and the the or Blade, a movie that has had no production problems at all. Yeah, I mean, look, someone, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase that, a, a popular tweet that went around, but like, if they can't figure out how to make a movie where Mar- Mahershala Ali wears cool sunglasses and kills vampires, like, what's the point of all this? Like, it feels like such an easy way to do it. So much of it's been done three times previously. Right, exactly. And twice pretty well. <laughs> exactly. And... You know, the Fantastic Four they're going to do, and they're going to do X-Men. Uh, Pedro Pascal announced. He did, just he... As we're here. I don't think that's good casting. <laughs> I mean, look, I was off this the moment I found out the director was going to be Matt Shankman. Yes. Of WandaVision, which is a show that I liked, but also, like, he mostly does TV stuff. Right. Like, that's his entire career, and, you know, there can be some very good directors on television shows. Of course. Uh, he doesn't strike me as one, necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also just like such a bland choice, and that's the problem is they keep exactly. making these bland, flaccid choices for announcements. And I'm like, why would I care about this? Right. Like, I care about Aubrey Plaza, but I don't give a single shit about seeing that fucking Agatha spinoff show. And I love fucking uh, Catherine, Catherine Hahn. Hahn. Yeah. Yeah. Love Hell Catherine yeah. Hahn, but I'm still just like. Like witches, okay. Yeah, I don't know. And like, and again, when like it's either they go with someone so safe like that, who like, no offense to to Matt Matt Shankman, but like, who I don't think is gonna make a very visually interesting movie, or you know, this is a very famous story of Lucretia Martel, the uh, Argentinian yes. filmmaker who was attached to make Black Widow, and then she asked about the action sequences, and they told her, "Don't worry about it." We'll take care of those. And naturally she had the reaction of, 
but I'm the director. Shouldn't I be doing the action sequences? That's kind of why I sign up for this thing. That's what's interesting. And I remember Ava DuVernay also had a very similar quote. Yes. About that as well. Because yeah, that's the big thing, like the previs stuff. Exactly. That like is very rampant, and especially in a lot of the lesser Marvel movies. Yeah. And I just feel like, I don't know, at the same time, what's fascinating right now to me about the MCU, the only thing is just on like, at this point, it feels like we're in the late 60s Hollywood era of the superhero era. Right. Honestly. Sure. Where it's just going to be like, oh, these movies that don't do that. That's why, as much as James Gunn, love your movies, love this movie in particular, I'm really unsure how that fucking DC thing is going to go. I believe Superman Legacy is probably going to make a really solid movie. Sure. That's like, cool, great Superman movie. But I don't know after that. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. And I mean, like, we will we will talk in depth about DC. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, the 2016 Suicide Squad at some point. But um... Well, I mean, I'll just say, you know, this December, we may get wet. We might, we might visit the seven, the seven oceans. Um... <laughs> then that might be the... Because that's going to be the eulogy for that particular series anyway. That might be what that ends up. Exactly. Right. Like, I have... <laughs> more positive feelings on the DC films than most people, I think. And even I am kind of, yeah, like I, I'm interested in his Superman movie Uh, from, from what I know about comic books, he seems to really get them in a way that I, you know, I think is interesting. And he seems to really be interested in like, I I just love the way that with this and with the suicide squad and peacemaker, he's able to just really focus on outsider weirdo characters and where you would be where anyone would ask you like why would you make a movie about this this comic book character and he he's able to make it really interesting um so i'm interested in that but yeah that the dc thing is a whole whole other thing <laughs> yes i don't know if we do we could have done warner brothers 100 years but uh, i think they fucked that I up for themselves they really fucked it up for themselves <laughs> yeah um but but yeah so you know what final thoughts Brian, let's get to him. Any final thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Yes. Um, I love this movie. And I, I can say that like, there are so many of the very little of these that I actually like or even love. Like I would say of the ones that I love, uh, Iron Man 3, which, of course, this movie, the Avengers movie, and Black Panther. But I, again, some of the a lot of the visual effects sequences in that look really dodgy and and volume two i'm sorry that one as well but like only those and i i just really didn't expect to become reinvested into this franchise what 32 movies in like it it, i was out and then they pulled me back in and like (laughs) it it feels like i said earlier it feels like a movie but it, it does it feels like a time when you know disney and Marvel specifically, was taking risks, but also was making these really big $200 million movies that actually felt like they cost that much. Like, you really get a sense of how expensive this movie was in all the sets, all the costumes, all the makeup, everything, all of that stuff. And it's it's great. I, I love this movie. I, I really just didn't expect to love a Marvel movie, especially in 2023, but... Yeah, here we are. It's just a great movie. It has an incredible sense of finality. 
um, a great villain, one of the better MCU villains, I would say. Maybe like off the top of my head, maybe top five, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like just right next to Malekith. <laughs> Why do I actually hate that much? To be fair, um, but I just yeah, feel not, nothing. He's not. He's not a good one. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good movie, though. Yeah. I, I will still stand by that. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it is the culmination of like James Gunn making this movie about these these weirdos, and it paid off with the first one. And it, this is just the culmination point of all of that there's a debt that like the MCU owes the guardians movies in a way of like, like I said earlier that of like it proving that they could go wilder and weirder and all that stuff. But like the book I mentioned earlier, the MCU book goes into a lot of the behind the scenes, like conflict between like Marvel and like the creative committee side of things. And mm-hmm. it uh, in the book, like they describe that they used guardians like as an example of like, see, like we can do weird things and people will care and people will support us um and it's yeah it's great to get this movie especially right now yeah i love it it's great what about you um loved it. it's one of my favorite films of the year currently in general um and i would say i agree with you it's definitely one of the few of the mcu that i truly love my number five is iron man three yes. rules great movie my number four is Black Panther. Same. My number three is Guardians Volume 1. My number two is Guardians Volume 3. And number one is Volume 2. The only one that I believe I have rated at. Five stars. Wow. None of them for me are, are, a, are a five star level. But I mean, number five, I have Guardians Volume 2. Number four, Black Panther. So we share that one. Number three, The Avengers. Number two... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And number one is Iron Man 3. It's a weird franchise. It is. It's But this sub-franchise within of Guardians is still tremendous. It's my favorite. Th- just like of this MCU experiment of like recent big blockbuster cinema. Of just like what you can do on like a massive scale. But have like very intimate character focused stories. Especially this one. Where like James Gunn said that his sort of thing for the trilogy is. The first movie is about the mother. Literally in terms of. Peter Quell. Right. Second one's about the father. And the third one is about the self. That's good. And I think, yeah, I think that's really accurate about this one. It feels truly like a self-examination of like, we've been around for like 10 years. We've encountered weird superheroes that may have slightly put us out of character for a second. Um, (laughs) And, but also like all these creatures and like Peter Quill's whole family history and all this other stuff. And it feels like truly by the time you get to the end of this, it just feels like, man, these great people have had a lot of fun together, but they can't be together forever. Yeah. That's, that's so great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <sighs> what a movie. What a movie. Let's get to our weekly segment that we got to get to now of uh, Between the Lines.
So on every episode of Between the Lines, uh, you know, Brian and I like to talk about another movie that we recommend in terms of, uh, you know, something related to the movie we're talking about or, you know, maybe another choice for the end for new for a partic- this particular miniseries. And so, uh, Brian, you're going first. What's your recommendation this week for Between the Lines? I wanted to go with something that was from, obviously, like, not just big company Disney, but I wanted to do something from their subsidiaries that was a recently released movie. And I wanted to go with a 20th Century Fox. I'm not calling it that, Disney. You can't you can't make me call it 20th Century Studios. Um, yeah, so I wanted to go with something from there. And uh, it feels appropriate, because I'm going with a film from Ridley Scott. He released it a couple years ago, and uh, it's The Last Duel. Um, did you see it? No, you didn't. And Ridley knows you didn't see it. <laughs> um, but The Last Duel, um, which is his another medieval epic from Ridley Scott, who I just can't stress this enough. He is 85 years old. He is going to be 86 yes. in two weeks. And it is insane that he made this movie, which is fantastic and is like, has at the spry age of 83. <laughs> right. Like insane. <laughs> and during a pandemic, like yes. insane. I mean, to do a little bit of Ridley talk, I'm just fascinated by him because of course he's got Napoleon coming out and then like he is doing Gladiator 2, which stopped because of the strikes, but I'm, I'm sure he's like probably like finished it by now um but and and he's prepping now for a western that he's making and it it yes. it's just insane that he is in his late 80s and he is making not just like movies consistently but big epic movies that require like a lot of work put into them and i love the last duel i, I this movie is fantastic i, I mean from like the sort of Rashomon style like narrative that it has which is is really great and is really like surprising I just didn't expect it to take that sort of structure of like you know the different perspectives um but Jodie Comer is phenomenal in this movie I I mean like probably the best performance in the in the movie in my opinion but really everyone's great I mean Damon who like is having a great era of his career right now driver gets to play a real like scummy character which is great to see and uh of course we got ben we got ben affleck just playing just the sleaziest like lord he's just great an incredible supporting performance from him but i just yeah i loved this movie um i'm fascinated by ridley scott just in general but i really loved this movie more than i was even expecting because I was just like, eh, Ridley Scott, whatever. I love the cast, but I don't know if, I don't know if I trust him to make this story, but it is, it's really impactful. It feels so visceral and so just electric, like so much energy put into this movie. You would just not expect him to be in his eighties directing it. Yeah. I love it. I'm just so happy that Ridley Scott gets to make movies right now and uh disney i implore you let him make another alien movie come on like just just let this is a public message this is a PSA. this is a psa <laughs> just i know you got noah hawley's making a show and i know you got the feta alvarez movie 
No. Let Michael Fassbender's back in movies, right? Get him. Get Ridley. Let him make a movie. Let him let him finish his trilogy. Alien Covenant fucking rules. Um but yeah, my recommendation is the last duel, but it was a I had to hide that <laughs> that subliminal PSA in there. <laughs> that, that was a secret there was a secret mission to this and you succeeded. It's back on the menu, boys. Um but yeah, I've seen the last duel. I saw it theatrically, like a good boy. Yeah. Nice. Um, especially considering this was also like you know because Ridley Scott, like you mentioned, is a fascinating filmmaker, one of the most prolific directors alive. Yeah. And this is also, I believe, the same fall where I saw House of Gucci, right? Mm-hmm. Which I did not enjoy very much. It's not as good, but <laughs> no. Um, but at the same time, The Last Duel is an incredible film that I think it's like you mentioned the Rashomon style, the storytelling, the way all these actors perform. This Jodie Comer, I agree, is so amazing. This whole movie, I believe, robbed of any Oscar nominations, but particularly her. Oh, yeah. Uh, just a tremendous performance from her. Um, and it is also, like, very darkly funny at points, especially, like, Matt Damon is kind of, like, a funny character in terms of, oh, you seem introduced initially with, like, his perspective. It's just like, I am the best possible person here. And each succeeding part just reveals, like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you're so stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. It, it's the way that that movie, the movie doles out information on its characters is so, is so genius. It's really incredible. And like, and also the final fight between Damon the la- the and t- Driver. The titular last duel. The titular duel. <laughs> it, it's the titular role. It, it's so visceral and so like gnarly where like, a thing I find very interesting about Ridley Scott is that he is often a Hollywood director. Right? Like, imagine a Hollywood director. He makes Hollywood movies, right? Big blockbusters, whatever. But then he also is an art- an artist, right? He's made Alien and Blade Runner and, like, has movies like that. But he exists in that space and he's such a, yeah, such a fascinating director. And I think, like, th- it, that movie is a great example of, like, it is a very entertaining movie and it's got battles, it's got all that stuff, but it is also really really well directed and really well handled i think yes would concur but now it's time for my recommendation yes which you know this some may say this stretches no what i'm about to recommend no No. never um it is you know the breezy very quick 471 minute uh feature film broke up into three parts that aired over thanksgiving a couple years ago uh the beatles get back Yes. Oh, Beatlemania is rising I'm, in the studio. Yeah, in, on this Zoom call is Beatlemania. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we are talking about the Beatles Get Back, which I didn't watch until fairly recently. Um, if you're unaware somehow, um, on Disney+, Plus, they released this restored re-edit of the documentary Let It Be from the 70s. All that footage uh, that had been left over that was collected by Peter Jackson, who restored it to crystal clear HD yeah, uh, that just feels like you're immersed in the room as you watch the Beatles start to make Let It Be and see their gradual breakup of the band. See, it was relevant to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Not just because it's Disney, Damn. but it's bringing them the band story. Yeah, And I was worried, actually, I avoided this kind of because like my worry is, you know, with the original Let It Be, that was kind of like a famous depiction, like this is what the Beatles breaking up was for like so long. That was the narrative. Right. And then all this extra footage 
just unravels the fact that like that descent was there with these people like even like in the from my understanding of the let it be original documentary which i have not seen because it's very hard to find right um it's a movie that like uh you know depicts you know the beatles breaking up very quickly apparently and very much blames it on yoko ono to some degree and i think that descent with yoko is there from the band like i don't think that's completely invented but kind of thrusting it on her as much as just looking at these guys initially practicing in this like studio where Ringo's supposed to shoot a movie in like a week, which is like, there's tension there. Right. Of just like, are they going to make it? <laughs> Even though we know they made it. Uh, but uh, it's just interesting to see like that whole process and slowly realize like these guys are having fun and they still are like friends to some degree, but they're not great creative partners anymore. It just feels like something's off. Yeah. It's not like they're being antagonistic, but just there's the vibes not right. Uh, as George very much establishes and, from there, you just see, like, the very nature of just, like, how it broke up and how it was kind of, I guess, more bittersweet than we were given credit to. It wasn't, like, extremely tumultuous. Right. As much as just, like, yeah, we kind of drifted apart. We've been, they did, you know, consistent albums for, like, what, 10 years, right? The Beatles, uh, seven years, which is the crazy thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 63 right. to, to, to 70, basically. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, just seeing, like, how that entire saga just ended when it did right just very naturally and how it truly ends on a, a big show stop finale of what is this an an ai song from after john died oh no i'm sorry it was a different disney plus thing let me do the oh yes okay get it back um but no yeah i i was still surprised like how invested i was in this especially because like i was intimidated by that length mm-hmm. and it just like really flew by i watched it over a saturday yeah got up on Saturday morning, and in between some things, like, I would take breaks between episodes, but just dive right in, and just like, yeah, it's a tremendous experience I'd recommend for anybody out there, and this is definitely something in the age of streaming, which this was explicitly released on, I want a physical release. Oh my god, I yes. want it. This is one of my favorite anything, movie, TV show, document, whatever you want to call it, anything, of this very, of this decade so far, it's one of my favorite. It, it's very funny that because we you we talked about this uh, recently when you watched it, and also just kind of other things spurred on a kind of Beatle binge that I've been going on. I, I've been listening to a lot hey, of Beatles. You're Beatle and binging. <laughs> um, and I've started rewatching. Uh, I put on like a little bit of the of, of part two, and it is tremendous. It is like one of the best experiences I I think I've had in like the last few years, like really getting to like see them just hang out mostly. Like that's really the the stuff I love, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is this breaking down of like the Beatles mythos, right? We think of them as these mythic figures who were these like musical geniuses who did all this stuff. And then you watch this documentary and a lot of it is them like fucking around and like, just being four lads from Liverpool. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it's very fun. Yeah, it, it's so great to get to see them just make music and hang out. But also, there's genuinely great moments of getting to watch them. Like, I think you watch Paul like figure out "Let It Be" or "Get Back." One of those two songs. Like he, 
It's a get back. That's the big one. Over, that's the running thread of the whole thing. That's like the recurring joke. Right. That eventually we're just like, this is it. Yeah, but him like figuring out that song in real time and you just watching him like work through it, his like process is like incredible. And you see it in like real time and it's like, you know, him writing these like iconic songs. On the whole like Yoko Ono thing, I, I think what's interesting about this documentary is how like it treats like the whole Yoko Ono thing as like, John and Yoko were together and they just really wanted to spend all the time together. Yeah. And that's fine, but it it did result right. in like the end of the Beatles, but it's partially, but like it it it's a fascinating documentary and I I'm of the mindset of it could be longer. Make a longer cut, Peter. I would watch it. You know, we just have have some of that deleted footage on the 4K release. Exactly. There you go. And you know what? I would also say include the original let it be because i sure. think that still needs to be restored to some extent right just restore that and then put it on the fucking disc five peter <laughs> which i mean i'll say this also like the modern peter jackson era of like him doing these documentaries like this and they should not grow old um great stuff and you know if he wants to do this and not hang out with people after the hobbit movies i get it peter you know, we need our time. There's a... I, I'll never forget when they announced that, like... Because it was going to be a movie, and they were going to release it theatrically. And then I, yes. I remember the video of him announcing that it's going to be a series. Um, it was, I believe, at the end of 2020. And uh, it's this video of him going, like, Yeah, we're working on it. Um, we don't have COVID <laughs> here, but back over where you guys are, you guys have COVID, but we in New Zealand don't have any more COVID. So we, I can work on this thing freely and do whatever. And it's, it was a great, just like little jab. <laughs> I think of like, you know, living in New Zealand. Very great. Yes. Peter. Godspeed. Oh, I love you. Well, I don't know what he's restoring now. It's like, well, we just released that fucking music video. Wait to do that. Great. Yeah. yeah. Great job, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, Let's repeat our titles for everybody out there. Uh, yeah, I had Ridley Scott's 2021 medieval epic, The Last Duel. And I had the 2021 as well. Miniseries slash over six hour long movie, <laughs> The Beatles Get Back. But yeah, so uh, we're going to be heading finally into the end. This is, I'm sure, going to be our longest episode. Uh, but we got to thank some people before we get out of here. We got to thank Burial Grid for our intro music. Purchase this music at burialgrid.com. Uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for uh, our artwork. Find her at mishkyle96 on Twitter. And thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much at patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, where for just $1 a month, you get access to bonus recordings that we do. Like we were talking about Ridley Scott just recently. We probably talked about Napoleon already. Absolutely. Hell yeah. It was uh, around the Thanksgiving holiday where we covered, I'm sure, a bunch of movies. We're still unsure of what the format will exactly be for that. Right. We're talking about a couple November releases. Uh, and also at some point, you know, before the end of December, which we're in now, we'll have for our Disney series, our top 10 Disney songs. That's right. Just any song from a Disney product out there. Very curious to see how that goes. Top 10 of them. But um, yeah, we got all that coming up and maybe another little uh, Christmas treat for you uh, related to the this, this season for the holiday season. It's the reason for that season. <laughs> but 
yeah, on, on that note, you know what? Let's uh, just so you can find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cinema Number Two Letter. Any other socials, Blue Sky and whatnot. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxes at Not the Who's Tommy. And I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. Uh, yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter as well uh, at B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E and the number three. Uh, or you can follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, you can look at my MCU ranking on there. I have all 32 of them ranked. I'll probably keep updating it because it... Well, that all 32 of the 33 of them, sir. Oh, 33 of them. My apologies. I have not, what I have not seen the I hope you get fired for that blunder. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can follow me on there. And you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows that are on the network? Uh, and you can also dig into the archives in our Podbean main feed for the first two seasons of the show, the previous episodes of this season, and all the old double-edged double bill stuff is over there on Podbean. And if nothing else, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool. Money can be tight. But the free way to help us out is to rate, review, or just share the show around to give us more visibility so we can dance with everybody. <laughs> but let's just tease, you know, Brian, our next episode. We reach the E for egregious for our Disney miniseries. And we're covering an interesting one. We're going to be covering the Brad Bird film from 2015, Tomorrowland. Yep. Uh, a very interesting choice, I think, because we're picking more more egregious in terms of it was a big box office bomb uh, that cost a lot of money. But it'll be very interesting to talk about that because we neither of us have seen it since theaters in 2015, correct? Right, uh, that's true. But also, when I saw it in theaters initially, I wasn't thrilled about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am quite literally split on that movie. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to revisit. I'm, I'm very excited. Yes. So we'll be talking about that and Brad Bird and all sorts of other stuff on the next episode. But until then, everybody, looks like uh, the dog days are over. The dog days. I love you guys. Are done. <laughs>